Hello and welcome to another episode of Myths and Stories, a Destiny 2 lore podcast. Uh, today we are covering and finishing, question mark, our uh, History of the Elixni series. Um, specifically, we're going to be covering Beyond Light, uh, hopefully all the way up to uh, present day in-game. Um, our last episode, we left off with uh, talking a little bit about Aramis and where she came from, uh, came from, and uh, her kind of realigning herself with Varix and a few uh, House of Devils and House of Wolves uh, members to create Reese Reborn. And we ended that with the arrival of the pyramid ship on Europa and her entering it to receive her gift. Yeah, the gift of darkness. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to give a quick apology beforehand. Uh I'm in a new space. Uh I finally got my basement uh remodeled and I'm in the new office, but it's super echoey cuz it's super empty. <laughs> so if my audio sounds rough, uh blame myth. Tell him tell him he didn't edit it right. Yep, so yeah. Yep. All on me. <laughs> uh I will follow that up by saying that I am still in the stages of recovering from my illness from last week. I uh, I feel much better than I sound, but uh either if if things get a little nasally, uh that is why. So apologies for that. But yeah, Aramis Darkness. Full full darkness. That was that was something that was something that we talked about last time too at the very end. Like if she had not made that choice, what what would have happened to House Salvation? Like if she hadn't just fully given in to accept darkness, but unfortunately she did, and uh, um, yeah, darkness connected to witness is kind of bad, kind kind of bad, just just a little, just, just a little. little, but only only when it's connected to the witness. Like that's I think that's a that's a distinction, and I think we talked about this back in our our light and dark saga, like. Darkness by itself is just a tool. It's it's mm-hmm. it's just like the light. It's 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 equal and opposite. Um, but when it's when it's <laughs> when it's being fed to you and wielded by the dark <laughs> by the witness himself, like now it now it's bad. Yeah, yeah. When it when it is gifted to you as a means of controlling you, yeah, yeah. Bad news. Bad news um, and that that is precisely what happens with with Aramis she receives the gift of uh darkness slivers that grant her uh and the generals that she assigns um power to control stasis and we got we got something similar in the in the collection edition didn't we is that was that the physical yep. that was that the is physical exactly thing we what got that is. yeah um and these uh you know the these slivers uh kind of act as our ghosts in a way where they they allow for the dark power to channel um you know channel through the sliver and be controlled by the wielder and uh this is you know this is the the very first instance of stasis being used uh is by Aramis and her um her house salvation as she calls it and and again to touch a little bit on stasis like we we always think of it as like a lot of people think of it as like oh it's freezy stuff but it's it's more like entropy manipulation yeah than yeah. anything 
like what like the removal of entropy like like the removal of the effects of entropy from time right it's like that's kind of the yeah things become more ordered in that localized area of the universe instead of more chaotic yeah uh, and it, it's represented by um ice because that's yeah. an easy visual representation for us the player to go oh freeze makes things stop makes things slow yeah you know, makes sense to us thematically yeah uh but yeah so this is the this the event that kicks off the beyond light expansion is aramis is gifted these slivers um learns how to wield stasis teaches her gives uh the slivers um that she has to her her various generals teaches them how to use it and again i think it would have been one thing if she had discovered how to use stasis and had decided we are going to use this power to better protect ourselves or to build up this Reese reborn city that we're already in the, in the process of making like truly stand on somewhat equal footing for the first time with the other races, uh, in, in the, the soul system in particular humanity and, and their guardians. Uh, but unfortunately Aramis gets a little power hungry. Oh, or, yeah. or I should say maybe power drunk is a better term. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I like the second one there. <laughs> yeah. She, she realizes, Oh, I have this great and powerful ability now that makes me, you know, a, a threat on the same level as the guardians and their precious traveler. And rather than try and use this power to build up her people, although she does claim to be doing so really her, her uh, motivation is revenge. She wants to enact revenge on the traveler and, you know, teach it a lesson by destroying its little soldiers of light. Uh, And she unfortunately is willing to use her house, house salvation as the tools of war to do so. And, intends to start using this stasis ability more broadly amongst you know the general dregs and vandals and and uh, other captains and such uh as a means to turn them into soldiers for yeah. for her cause her her own little personal army exactly and we and we, and we talked a lot about uh that wrathfulness right like she really is driven by this hatred like when we when we looked at different uh, uh, persons of interest throughout the um, Elixni, I'd say more recent hit- history, she's definitely one of those ones that is against going going backwards. She's like, no, that thing needs to die. That thing abandoned us. It's this is no. We we can't have any part of the traveler or anything of it. Yeah, it's this weird mental state where she's she's against going backwards culturally she's against saying like we we're going to return to a life under the traveler yet all of her decisions are still ruled by her past yeah uh so it's it's kind of this weird you know she still is looking backwards even if she doesn't want her people to yeah uh and and 
Aramis is aware, as we saw in Season of the Plunder, that she's hypocritical about her approach to things. Uh, but this is kind of where we can first see some of that starting to form. And um, Varix, who up until this point has been acting as her scribe of House Salvation and has been trying to reassume the true role of House of Judgment on Reese Reborn, sees Aramis turning their people into soldiers of the power uh, provided to her by the one that caused the whirlwind, caused their collapse. And uh, he, he can't have it. Uh, you know, so that, that's the, the breaking moment. I was going to say that's that to him. I feel like that's a giant, like F you to the entire Elixir people. Like, Oh yeah. yeah. That's, 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 that's cool. Finding dandy that you don't, that you don't like the traveler and you don't, you want to be rid of it, but to then accept the one thing that like drove that like destroyed Reese in the first place as your <laughs> salvation. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, Varix yeah. very much, I think feels, uh, feels betrayed by this because not only are you accepting help from, you know, the thing that caused the whirlwind, but you know, the, the whole promise that Aramis came to him was, you know, rebuilding, you know, yeah. Reese reborn, and she would need a scribe yep. to keep them in line and, and all these, you know, all of this grand things that Varix had wanted, had wanted someone to step forward and start building something new. And she was doing that and to, to kind of find that you know, her motivation for doing that all along was just so she would have more bodies to throw at the traveler. I was fixing like, to say, is, is she just used, like, I mean, clearly she was. Like, she was just using Varric's, just, like, using yeah. his own ideas to, like, feed him and be like, yeah, come join. Yeah, we need a scribe. We need to rebuild. Yeah, get more people. Come on, let's go. And she's She's just as backstabby as ever. And, like... Well, yeah. and I, I think in a weird, twisted way, she still thought that she was doing that. She still yeah. thought they were rebuilding. Just yep. her version of rebuilding means on the bones of the traveler, not <laughs> rebuilding a little more aggressively. I guess would be the <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Varix is is not having any of what Aramis is selling. And uh, he ends up betraying her by um, stealing a darkness sliver and uh, escaping away to an outpost to call the Guardian uh, and let them know that there is a threat on Europa and that he needs their assistance in dealing with it. Um, Aramis, of course, finds out that Varix has made this unsanctioned phone call, essentially, and uh, directs her forces to chase Varix down and and execute him. Like she sees him at you know this is treason. He's yeah. once again proving himself to be a traitor to their people. And as far as she's concerned, oh man, I never thought of it like that because they always refer to him as like Varix the traitor, Varix the the yeah. the the garbage man. Like, it, oh my god, this is definitely like her seeing that as the second betrayal. Yeah, it's from from Aramis's point of view, it, it's very much a like I took a chance on you. I I thought that you could see the bigger picture and the better good, uh, and now you're just you know crawling back to the 
the light bearers of our great enemy in her eyes. Um, and you know, Ferrix is, is in bad shape. He's pinned down with lots of enemy forces. When we roll in the player guardian and, uh, end up saving his hide. Um, and he, you know, lets us know about what's going on. Our guardian investigates and sees, uh, which is with uh, a cutscene in game sees Aramis using the stasis power and uh, kind of like trying to rile up some of her people into, you know, yay stasis. This is, this is the power we will take our lives back with. That's, that's the scene where she like, she, she blows up a servitor. Yes. And it, like, that's, that's yep. a big deal. Like these servitors are everything to the Elixir. They're, they're, and we've talked about this before. They're built in the image of the great machine. They're they're um, ether uh, harvesters, so they they can yep. they can produce more ether for the for the elixir. And she literally just sh- fills it full of stasis and shatters it, like in front of the entire crowd of all these dregs and vandals and stuff. And and it's just like no more. And it's like oh my god, okay, okay, this is serious. This is real. Like okay, <laughs> so we um, end up having to flee that confrontation just because, you know, overwhelming force, I guess is, is the implication, you know, Aramis and all of her generals in one place, they can all wield stasis plus a bunch of rank and file soldiers. Like they, you know, the guardian doesn't, doesn't want to deal with that. Turns out freezy bullshit kind of sucks. (laughs) (laughs) And this is pre nerf stasis too. So that shit was real. (laughs) This is launch stasis where even Bungie was like, yeah, we, we kind of shipped that a little hot. Yeah. Uh, Sorry about that. (laughs) But, uh, so we, we escape and are now, um, working with Varix to try and figure out, okay, how, what's, what's the best way to deal with this. And under Varix's instruction, uh, we start, by essentially dismantling her empire around her. Uh, you know, we're not attacking Aramis directly, not at first. It's more weaken this, you know, system that she's built up so that there's no longer a a threat on a um, you know, invasion level, and then we'll deal with her when her resources are depleted. And uh we start that with uh Phylax who is uh, described as Aramis's strongest warrior and military general. This was the one that was in prison with her, right? That was the one that was like, not, not her sail, her cellmate, but he was like, like the next cell over and they were like trading stories back and forth. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Phylax is when we, when we meet them in the empire hunt, uh, for the warrior, um, is very very confident in themselves i oh yeah to to a fault as we find um but they are they are very much you know the bravado of like come challenge me guardian you know prove yourself worthy of fighting me very much that warrior like gladiator like come get some style Yeah, Yeah. yeah 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 and Spoilers, we we do, and we kick his ass uh, <laughs> on a weekly basis, or I guess on a tri-weekly weekly basis. basis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so we defeat Phylax, and we we take back the sliver of darkness that Phylax had uh, that allowed them control over Stasis. Uh, next, 
we target uh, Paraxis, who is the head scientist of House Salvation. Uh, Praxis is actually the one that created all of the technology that allows House Salvation to control stasis via the darkness slivers, which I thought was oh, an like interesting the, little point. Like, like he designed their like darkness splicer gauntlet things. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, Any time that you are uh, fighting an elixir that has access to stasis, so like uh, some of the mini bosses in um, like the the Glassway Strike. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Or, or uh, so I think there are some mini bosses even in the Empire Hunts that they they are large captains that will use stasis against you. Uh, if you pay attention, they have kind of a a dark version of a splicer gauntlet attached to one of their arms uh, with one of these slivers of darkness in it. And these all of these devices were created by um, Paraxis. And so we, you know, it, it, it is a very important person to, to take out of the picture because if we remove Paraxis, we remove their ability to really innovate on this technology or, you know, hopefully cease development altogether, but at the very least prevent them from making stronger versions of it. Uh, and so again, we do. <laughs> uh, you know, we do the Empire Hunt mission um, to deal with Paraxis the Technocrat. Oh, was, was that the one with the, uh, um, oh, what is it? The, like the little like immunity things that he would put over himself? Yep. And you had to and shoot the floating. Shoot yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> so we have at this point effectively cut off the head of the military for Aramis's House Salvation and removed their lead for R and D. I House mean that's Salvation. that's like the two like that's I mean now granted at this point in time in, in history, the Guardians got pretty good at dismantling shit. <laughs> like <laughs> especially especially Elixir houses. We're really, really good at it. But I mean that's how that's how you hit them, right? Like hit their military, hit their hit their research and development. That's now all you gotta do is cut off their supplies and they're yep. done. Like that's that's how you that's how you win. Yeah, and Aramis recognizes that she is not in a good spot. So not only is she really upset that, you know, again, a light bearer is dismantling this this new house that she has made, um, but she understands that she is not in a in a advantageous position with these two council members being gone. And so she actually reaches out to the Cosmodrome to any surviving House of Devils members that are still alive in the Cosmodrome, um, requesting that they provide weapons and supplies. Uh, and, you know, Aramis was of the, the House of Devils prior to her incarceration in the Prison of Elders. Um, and House of Devils was, you know, the, the very technologically advanced house. They were the house based in the Cosmodrome. Um, you know, the Devil Splicers were the ones that were messing with Siva and whatnot. The the military might at the at the Battle of uh, yep. uh Twilight Gap. Twilight Gap, yep. Um so you know House of Devils is a very hardy house. Uh they're not nearly what they used to be, but there are some of them out there still and they've been hoarding some supplies. And so when Aramis, the closest thing to a Kel they've had in years, makes a request for supplies and assistance, 
they are very interested in delivering. Oh, sure. And uh, the so they they start to you know stockpile and uh, get ready a ship to take all of this uh, over to Aramis, and the Vanguard intercepts this request. And they direct the Guardian to stop that delivery at all costs. Like I said, which they do. Shut off, <laughs> shut off. That's that's number three. Shut off their supplies. Yep. And now you're now, like that's literally how you win a war. You you hit their military, you hit their R and D, their science department, so that way they can't advance any further. Then you cut off their supply. I mean, any one of those orders, like if you you know cut off their supply chain first, that kind of like dr- slows their R and D research stuff to kind of a drip, and then then you can kind of starve them out of that, and then you hit them with the military, like. Those three, those three is how you win a war. Yeah. And the Guardian is well on their way. Yeah. Uh, so Aramis now understands that, well, crap, I have no supplies, no leaders in my military, no leaders in my R&D. Uh, and so now she starts enacting some more panic plans. Um, the first one being telling Atrax, the last surviving member of her council at this point, to infiltrate the Deep Stone Crypt uh, and prepare the body, quote unquote. Ooh, so mysterious. A- Ooh. Uh, so <laughs> Atrax now kind of leaves the, the narrative, at least for a little while, um, off doing this super secret mission in the Deep Stone Crypt. Uh, and Aramis decides to activate the Vex gate portal within the Braytech facility on Europa oh, yeah. in, an, in an attempt to use this Vex incursion as a means of defeating or at least distracting the Guardian from being able to deal with House Salvation. Uh, her thought I being, mean, you know, pretty damn good distraction. Yeah, her thought being, I'm going to activate this portal, we're going to have the Vex flood into Europa, and the Guardian is going to have to deal with them before they can even get to us. Now, this is quite the Hail Mary. Uh, The Vex are not allies of Aramis. The Vex are (laughs) uncaring about who's in front of them. Just if it's not Vex, they're going to shoot it. Yep. So... This is a big gamble on her part because not only is she, you know, hopefully distracting the Guardians, but she is very much also putting all of the Elixni at risk. Because if the Vex decide to not be a distraction in the areas she wants them to be, uh, or if any Elixni happen to wander too close to this facility, uh, they are they're going to be gunned down. Yeah, Vex bad, yo. Vex bad. <laughs> uh, thankfully, Elsie, who is knowledgeable about this gateway and seeing Aramis's movements in the area, kind of has an understanding of what she might be doing. Uh, tells us the Guardian about it, and thus we have the Glassway Strike, which is us um, infiltrating this facility shortly after. And shutting you know destroying the the sub mind that is controlling um that particular you know leading the charge on that particular group of x as well as shutting the portal altogether to prevent them from turning into a a big issue i, I love i love when bungie does stuff like this where they include 
um, a strike or something like that into the story and 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 really feed the uh, gameplay loop of the game of like, hey, go run strikes, go do this, go do that, go run a story, go do it. Like when it's part of it, it it really helps, uh, or it really it really feels like it, it, it's part of the game. It's not just like some task you go do. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Uh, so Aramis's use, Aramis's gamble of using something as dangerous as the Vex, uh, which are mutually dangerous to both guardians and the, you know, civilians, the Elixni there, um, leads Varix to finally kind of denounce Aramis for good and say that there is, she has done an irredeemable action in this, uh, because no, no longer is it just about, you know, no longer can she claim to just be trying to protect Elixni lives because she very uh, readily put the lives of her house in danger by I mean, all even of, all thinking of about this. Like yes. the entire Elixni people at this point, like she's, re- she's ready to throw away lives at this point. Yeah. And so that leads Variks to just denounce her completely say that she is no longer, you know, she's irredeemable. Um, and, uh, decides that, okay, I'm going to, instead of trying to just stop Aramis, uh, and hope, you know, that, that we can find another way, uh, I'm going to actively start, um, extracting civilians. I'm, I'm going to actively start giving people the option to, you know, run away to leave Reese Reborn because it is not safe at this yeah. point. Uh, and so we have a, a mission here where Varix makes a request to the Guardian saying that, you know, he has filled up a uh, multiple um, skiffs with different, and I think maybe a maybe a catch, but definitely skiffs at least, uh, of civilians that are trying to, to leave. Um, and, you know, asks our help in, uh, uh, freeing or, or kind of, you know, securing the, the avenue for them to escape, which is where this is the mission where there's the ship being held by the like tractor beams. And you have to go yeah. around to the three different areas three on the map. Up, shut off the tractor beam. A captain, yep. uh, stasis captain shows up and he's like, Hey, what are you doing? And you're like, nothing. Pop, pop, pop. You're dead. <laughs> Run to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That one. Yeah. Very, very nineties, like action hero movie, like nothing. Pop, pop, pop. Bye. <laughs> Run away. <laughs> You didn't see anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so after allowing for the the exfiltration of uh, these civilians and having, you know, kind of shut down all her other avenues of, of combating us, the Guardian then fights their way through a now mostly empty Reese Reborn uh, to find Aramis in in her, her own home and... Uh, takes the battle to her and ends up winning with the result being Aramis being uh, entombed in stasis. And that's that, that last mission too. Like that was, it, it, it was, 
it's there's a cutscene. Uh, well, there's there obviously there's several cutscenes, but there's two cutscenes in particular that I really liked uh, during that that last part of the because that's basically like the end of the Beyond Light uh, campaign. Is that is that mission? There's there is more stuff. Don't worry, we have more to cover. Uh, but uh, those two mission, those two cutscenes is what I want to focus on. The one where the guardian, because up until this point, the guardian's been carrying around this little sliver, right? That's how he's. That's how the guardian's yep. been accessing stasis this whole time, and so he he come he meets he or she they you <laughs> VIP twenty fourteen uh, <laughs> shows up at Aramis's front like in her living room essentially. And she's like, I'm going to start to freeze you. And you're like, I'm going to break out. And so you pull out the sliver and she snatches it out of your hand and crushes it. And it's like, what are you going to do now? And you're like, ah, shit. Uh, what am I going to do now? And then like Elsie's voice plays in the back of your mind of like, hey, you've had the power of darkness in you all. It's a very Disney movie, right? Like, you've had the power within you this whole time. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it, was a, it was a very important moment. To note that the Guardian is one of the only, if not the only thing in this entire universe that can wield darkness and light. And uh, we do so in that scene. Like as Aramis is like freezing us from the ground up, we're like click, click, click and start breaking out of it. And she's like, interesting. Okay, this is going to be a fight then. And so we break out. We, we start using stasis sliver free. And then – the fight continues we we you know take it out to her balcony and 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 kill her and she's kind of like she's kind of like recoiling from it and as she's recoiling she like looks towards the the pyramid ship that's landed on europa that's off in the distance and she's like you know like she's reaching for it like you know why did you forsake me like you this power was everything and then she starts freezing herself like i don't i don't think she herself is freezing herself but she, her body starts freezing and is fully encased in stasis and that's that one part there i've never truly understood why that happened like i don't i at first i thought okay well we froze her like we locked her up in stasis and that was it but i i'm starting to think more it's like the witness looked at it and go okay well you you're clearly not going to do what i want you to do so i'm going to use this power against you and that's going to be your tomb and you can just sit there and watch the end of the universe happen and know that I have full power and you're helpless and you're nothing. That's that second part there, that 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 thought of like the witness being in full control at that at that final uh, battle um, or that final cutscene, I think is more accurate of, of what happened there. Yeah, no, I, I think so, too. I think. Um, I do not believe we were the ones that had anything to do with her, her stasis imprisonment. Uh, I think that came from the sliver, which does make me wonder what would have happened if our guardian held on to their sliver, if the witness can enact direct control oh, over shit. those. Because the slivers are literally chunks of like pyramid ships. Sorry. Seemingly, yeah. Uh, so they like, they have, they're, they're inherent. Are they... Because like the, sh the okay, but it's not like the big pyramid ship. It's the little mini ships that like right, buzz around it. Yes, yes. Those those slivers are like part of those ziggurats. So are those like are those like autonomous drones? Is that? 
Yeah, it's hard to say because we never see like a like a like with a pyramid. It's like one to one. Like Rook is is in the pyramid. Now, granted, there's you know he has all sorts of other shit in there. So much scorn, and then this scorn darkness hybrid thing, and all this other stuff. But the pyramid ship is primarily one to one. Like you have a dis uh, uh, a discipline, you have a disciple, and he is that is his pyramid ship. And then you have like all these little like ziggurats that are literally they're they're almost like little buzzing bees, and we saw a bunch of them uh, during season of arrival, the season right before Beyond Light came out, and like we were actively engaging with them and 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 shutting them down, but they never they never spat out like a new enemy or anything like that. They, they, nothing ever came no. out of them. They just like show they like materialize like tick, 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 and then we shut them down, and then that was it. Like they just dematerialized. So I'm curious if if those like little ziggurats are are like just autonomous drones. Maybe so. You know, it, it's it's hard to say exactly what the witness has direct control over and what just kind of is a part of, you know, the chain of command. Sure. Um but I I choose to to see Aramis's entombment as a punishment from the witness for for her failure essentially. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And it, it's it's a very um, clever way of of delivering a punishment, I suppose, because uh, you are enacting a like you fucked up. Now there's consequences, and at the same time, you are protecting this asset in a way that you could go back and use them again if it makes sense to do so. Right, because that's like that's the key here. Is like this is an entombment, not a killing. Not right. a like she was a lot. She the whole time that she was frozen, and I know like obviously we just had season of plunder where she broke out and she was all that. So the whole time she was frozen in that stasis tomb, she was alive. Like I, I feel like she could see and hear everything. So every time that like you, the player guarding, went up there and like teabagged her a bunch, was like, haha, you're stuck in stasis. She's just like, God damn it, <laughs> not again. This is the fifth time today, and it's not even eight a.m. This is ridiculous. But yeah, she's she's fully I feel like she's fully conscious in there, fully like fully aware of her surroundings and and is just it's it's literally like the witness wanted just her to like suffer through and be like, "Look, you didn't do what I want you to. So, you get to watch the end of the universe and you get a front row seat and there's nothing you can even do about it." Yeah, they're uh not going to talk about it here, but there's some evidence to suggest uh, to, to kind of back up this theory and also show just how fucked up the witness can be with his punishments. Um, actually in this latest season that just came out, yeah. um, that we'll maybe <laughs> talk about next episode. Hopefully uh, if, we, if we get there in time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, Aramis is defeated, uh, and the Guardian is now going about removing the remaining armaments to make sure that no one can use the ruins of House Salvation to uh, you know, build up an army again. Um, so the Guardian fights their way through the different sections of Reese Reborn, shutting down the weapons factories and the Brig production factory as well. Uh, it's discovered through this exploration that a new leader has emerged to replace Aramis and reorganize the remaining members of House Salvation. That new leader is Cretus, uh, also known as the Priestess. Oh, like, like psychic, right? 
Uh, yeah, I don't remember exactly what her abilities were. I, I think, I, I think priestess oh, was more like... in the sense of um, devotion and okay. like, religious fervor. I was, I was thinking like, uh, like, like Archon, right? Like the. Oh what, yeah, not the... not quite the same. Right, like or or like the next step down from an archon, because yeah, I, maybe I swear there's another priestess, but I might be well because because there are archon priests, like oh, that's all okay. one word. Um, yep. but she she's referred to as uh, I believe it's just the priestess, um, okay. and I think it's more regarding the fact that um, she is fanatically obsessed with uh, stasis, the darkness, and Aramis. And um, states multiple times through the missions where you're you're hunting her down that she believes Aramis is not dead, but sleeping and is learning in her sleep uh, on how to better utilize stasis directly from the witness and that she will return more powerful than ever and that it is Cretus's uh, destiny uh, to break Aramis out is is this like prophecy she has made for herself i guess that's that uh, i was gonna say that's pretty fanatical to be like i'm my own prophecy ah, i'm right. the savior of my own people and it's because i say so like that's yeah that's that's pretty fanatical so uh needless to say guardian not gonna have that we can't have house salvation reforming around an even crazier leader <laughs> uh and so we shut her down real quick. Um, and in the mission where you fight Cretus, the final stage is the same arena where you fought Aramis. And so if Aramis is alive and uh, aware of everything that's happening while she's entombed, she gets to be frozen <laughs> and then watch the guardian chase <laughs> the last member of her of her loyal council smoke the rest of her council just be like oh <laughs> shit <laughs> now <Yeah>. what <laughs> yeah that's i i that's that's my headcanon now i'd like nope. i i feel like that's more than just my headcanon like i feel like that is what happened like yeah she's fully aware pretty fully safe conscious. to say yeah yeah and uh so now how salvation is truly leaderless and the remaining members scatter and split off to either join the house of dusk or the new, the up and coming house of light. Yeah. That's, that's kind of, that's kind of crazy though to think that like, Oh, Hey, Stace is good. Oh shit. They all died. Um, no, JK, light good. Yay, light. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I feel like a lot of the rank and file elixni, a lot of the, you know, citizens, um, are probably just going wherever they feel like they can live. You yeah. know, they're they're not You live they don't where care. you can survive. They don't care about yay stasis or yay light. They're just yeah. like, man, I want food tomorrow. I just want food tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could definitely see that as being like the driving force of like, hey, you're going to provide ether and food? All right, sweet. I'm on your side. Oh, yep. you died? All right, bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. So the Guardian learns of the plan that Aramis put into action uh, prior to her defeat, and that is that she sent Atrax off to the Deep Stone Crypt. 
Oh my god. I oh <laughs> go ahead. I I have a thing. <sighs> go ahead. Okay. So Atrax is uh you know infiltrated the crypt, which has set off alarms that um Elsie has picked up on and is directing us like we need to go investigate that because that's not good. Uh and we we get into uh the crypt and we discover that Atrax has successfully turned herself into the first Elixney Exo. Boom. Bike drop. Bomb in the room. Like, yeah, that's that's, that's bad. pretty that's pretty impressive. Like that's insanely impressive. Like all this old stuff, like we as as the guardians don't even know how exos work. And this single elixir was like, eh, let's give it a shot. See what happens. And right. Did it? And and it worked in this what thousands year old facility? I mean, we're talking the deep stone crypt, which is where exos are born. That was active during the collapse, pre-collapse, during the Golden Age. Clovis Bray ran this facility, and it, it's it's essentially been dormant ever since. Like ever, I guess ever since the collapse, maybe maybe a little post-collapse, it's been dormant. So I mean, we're talking yeah. thousands of years, and this one this one Elixney just walks in and figures it out in like I don't know a week. Come on. <laughs> Not only, not only did they figure out how to turn themselves into an EXO, they had enough time to rebuild slash revive Tanix. Fucking Tanix. God damn it. That's literally the elixir, like, F you. Like, yeah. we've, we've talked about this before. Vex is, for some Vex reason, they did this. Like, that's that's actual lore. That is an actual lore entry that says, for some Vex reason. Uh, we've, we being myth and I have decided that anything hive related is fucking Toland. And now anything Elixni is just fucking Tanix. <laughs> That's <laughs> cause this is like the, the, this is like the 10th time he's been revived. Like who, who is in charge of keeping tabs on this thing? Like what the hell? It's getting a little out of hand. Little ridiculous. Little ridiculous. Need to rename Tanix Tanix House of Cockroach. Yeah. Uh, yup. Yup. Oh, I like that. That is a good <laughs> one. I do like that one. <laughs> so the Guardian and their raid team defeats Atrax uh, along it, with the it, remaining it House them, of Salvation forces. It takes forces. them about 14 hours to figure out how to defeat Atrax first. <laughs> Only that if day, you're on day one. That day one Atrax was so hard. Like that was a genuine like, what are we doing here? Like that was a hard fight. Like our raid team went in blind. Like we weren't, we weren't trying to like watch any videos or anything. So we're trying to like learn this and figure it out. And there's just like, there's so many moving parts to this fight that are just, it, 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 like it was, it was exhausting by the time we got to the end of it. Yes. And we realized like, okay, we were the whole time we were missing like one key thing of the entire fight. And that was shooting her into space. Like we, we were trying to figure this out and we couldn't figure it out. It was, it was just, Oh, that was a rough one. That was my thing. Sorry. That was that was my whole like I've got a thing about yeah, that's <laughs> okay. Moment over. Okay. Well, we do eventually beat Atrax 
and the remaining house salvation forces that accompanied accompanied her here. Uh, and we have our our showdown with Tanix, uh, fighting Tanix while the entire orbital station is plummeting to the planet's surface, determined to blow itself up with nuclear cores, uh, which we put a stop to. We survive the uh, collision of the the space station hitting Europa. And uh, so did Tanix by way of replacing their bottom half with a shank. That's what I'm getting at. Like in the amount of time it took this station because like the whole time you're fighting, well, fighting, I put that in quotation marks, him, like you're not really fighting him. You're fighting all these forces that are just pouring out. You're just trying to like slow him down and like, like what you're saying, get these nukes in. You're, you're essentially ejecting these nukes into space and just like blow up over there, not in here. Uh, the yeah. whole time, this thing is like this, 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 because it's it's the um, God, I can't remember the name of the war. Uh, Morningstar. It's the Morningstar uh, orbital uh, platform system that you're in at this point that is crashing back down into Europa, and the whole time you're just like, oh God, nuke! Oh, get it out of here! Oh, another nuke! Oh God, get it out of here! Oh God, more nukes! Get them out of here! And then the the fifteen, not even fifteen seconds. The, the 10 seconds that it takes for you to recover from smashing into the ground and walking <laughs> to the next room, Tanix has replaced his entire lower half with a giant shank. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, was that his plan all along? Did he literally like have a backup and was just like, oh God, I got gut shot. Oh, severed. Bloop, bloop. Like how, who taught him this? What, what level of tech? We took out their R&D. Like like two weeks ago, yeah. who who was able to do this? Okay, I'm getting ranty, and I apologize. That's that's just. But yes, yeah, it, it's it's a bit odd of a fight. Not gonna lie, it's uh, so weird because now he has nukes. Like yes, where does where is he? He's literally pooping nukes out, and you're just like, oh, I guess I have to dispose of this. What this is such a weird fight when you sit back and look at it from the outside and go, oh, what it the is. Fuck, what are we doing? <laughs> it really, really is. But uh, we still fight it and we still win. We and still win. We put Tanix down for the last time. I'm, Question I'm, mark? I know, no, you know he's gonna get revived. Like that's name name three Destiny bosses. Tanix. All right, that's on me. I I I yeah. walked right into that. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. Now it's gonna be name five name five destiny bosses and you'll be like Tanix. You're like, God damn it, not again. Yeah. <laughs> but so that um the defeat of Tanix and the securing of the Deepstone Crypt uh ends our dealings with the Elixni during the uh Beyond Light expansion. Uh up until the season of Splicer. I, uh, and something that technically is lore we got during season of the splicer, but, um, the events described, I think happen somewhere between beyond light and splicer, uh, that we're going to talk about next is with a character that was very recently introduced, uh, to the story. And that is Ido. 
the Aww. daughter of Mithrax. I love Ido. She's so, oh, she's so innocent. She's so, she's so hopeful and innocent. And I'm just like, I want to just be like, look, kid, the world's kind of in a shit state right now. Like, darkness is coming. We don't know if we're gonna win. Well, I mean, we're we we we're pretty cocky, so we're pretty sure we're gonna win. But yeah, like. She's so hopeful, and I just, I just, I want to bottle her hope and sell it <laughs> for merchandising. <laughs> Don't give spider ideas. <laughs> yes. Oh. But so we are going to get into uh, the first of many readings tonight um, in kind of the second section of our episode uh, with the season of Splicer. And so we're going to read about Ido and how she found herself becoming the House of Light scribe, uh, especially when her father is a splicer. Uh, And we see kind of this story uh, from the Illuminous Hunter set, um, which was the armor set for... uh, not Age of Triumph. Maybe was it Age of Triumph? I th- I think so. Yeah, that's the one with the oh maybe Solstice. No 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 no. The the sparkly stuff is Triumph. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So regardless, it's called the Illuminous uh, Illuminous set uh, bracket majestic. Um, and so we're gonna start with the Hunter gloves. Uh, and these are different for each individual class, which is why I'm specifying the uh, the class here. But um, they go like this. Ido recoiled as the spindly claws of the splicer gauntlet snapped and jerked. When her father wore it, the damned thing always moved smooth, as if it were his own fingers. But attached to the end of her arm... It seemed possessed by a life of all its own. Mistrak's considerable patience was beginning to wear thin. No, Ido, no. Splicing is not about thinking. It is about feeling. Feel the energy flow from the ground, through your legs, up your torso, and out through your arm. His arms wove circular patterns in the air as if gently wafting smoke upwards. The movements of the gauntlet is the continuation of a motion that begins deep in the heart of the planet where it keeps its light. Ido sighed. Misrax was intent on passing the way of the splicer to his daughter, but after three days of attempts without the barest sign of success, they were both becoming frustrated. Ido was eager to learn, to live up to her father's skills, but the harder she tried, the more violently the gauntlet seemed to reject her. Ido took several deep breaths and extended her mind's eye through the ground, deep into the well of light at the center of the planet. She followed the light through the firmament, up through her body and into the gauntlet and it whirred smoothly to life. Yes, just so, Misrax encouraged her. Now feel the light extend from the gauntlet into the shank. Feel its code lying dormant. It is sleeping, waiting for you to wake it. 
Ido extended the gauntlet. A surge of energy shot forth from its claws, sending crackles of electricity ripping across the shank's surface. In her shock, Ido jerked the gauntlet away, which severed the connection. The electricity sparked for an instant longer, and then went still. A small plume of smoke issued forth from deep within the shank. Ido didn't need Misrax to tell her that she had just fried the main circuit net. Misrax took a moment to compose himself before speaking. This is a good lesson. When one focuses on the metal, the form of the machine, and not... Misrax Kel, father, Ido interrupted. This is not... I don't want... She fought her emotions for control of her voice. Misrax waited for his daughter to compose herself. I am not a splicer, she finally said. I am certain of it. I know this is a disappointment to you, but the gauntlet has spoken. She pulled the spiteful mechanism off her arm and held it out. Misrax took it reluctantly. I am sorry that you will not follow me in the way of the splicer. However, it is a far greater thing to know what you are and what you are not. He lifted all four of his palms toward her as a sign of respect. Self-knowledge is the rarest skill of all, and not commonly found in one so young. And Ida was filled with relief and gratitude for her lesson. That's the end of that lore card. Yeah, I'm, I'm like a second away from crying. Like, oh God, okay. Well, okay. we're going all sorts of places tonight, so. God damn it. <laughs> I'm literally like, I'm wiping tears away right now. Like, this is, oh fuck, I'm going to cry. Okay, this is, this is, Oh God, it's so good. It's so like, oh God. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, okay. Okay. Who breathe? Co- compose yourself, guardian. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, this is this is such. Uh, I love this this little scene here. Like, I love the idea of like Ido really trying, like truly trying to be like, okay. I, my not not just my father because because it now does she know she's she was found like does she know that she's essentially like adopted like she's just yeah okay yeah she does so but but she very much like i mean this is this mithrax is all she's known her whole life like that that is her her father yeah because she she was discovered as a hatchling right so she was very very young yep so to see that to see that father figure and 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 more than just a father figure right like the the kel of house light like that's that's everything that's the the provider the 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 guidance the everything everything in your house comes from and to like want to please him and and to and to show that yes i can follow in your footsteps this i can i can be a splicer and to try so hard and then for it to fail for you know the, now the third day of, of trying this and just get one little blip and her just be like, I am not a splicer. Like 
to to just state that as a fact and for her father to accept that and and go okay well that's you know that that's a real possibility but you stating that is the greater what would you call it the greater win out of out of this entire situation like having that self knowledge of knowing that you're not a splicer that you that you are not capable of doing this means an even greater uh um pride or whatever for the for the house of light because now there 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 are other things that that an elixir can do to mm-hmm. to help provide for their house like god i'm going to cry no okay <laughs> all right all right but, right. So th- this is this is her learning that um, she is not going to be following the path of the splicer. That you know there is something else out there, uh, and you know she knows herself well enough to know what she is not, and it is not a splicer. So then the question becomes, what does she end up doing? Right. And she gets her first flash of inspiration. Uh, in the lore card of the Illuminous Mask, the Hunter Helmet, uh, and it goes like this. Ido crept on all sixes through the massive halls of the Dreaming City. She was following an indistinct murmur, both terrifying and compelling, a thousand voices all muttering to themselves, how did she get here? She peered around the corner of a massive archway. Beyond, she found a circular chamber with an elaborate sigil carved into a stone floor. Three awoken figures stood at the precise intervals along the carved seal. The chamber was without a ceiling. The void of space yawned overhead. Spiraling galaxies seemed to fill the room, and Ido realized that she wasn't breathing. Was she dead? And suddenly, Ido stood in the center of the sigil. She turned in a circle, trying to identify the looming figures, but their faces were vast and unknown, like the void above. She felt the weight of their focus, as if she were falling in all directions at once. She looked down and discovered with horror that the ground was receding. She was floating upwards into the vacuum of space, and the figures paid her no attention as she drifted away. As the chamber fell away beneath her, the murmur condensed and merged until it unified into a single, panicked wail. And Ido awoke to find the screaming coming from her own mouth. Misrax crouched next to her pallet, wringing his lower hands in concern. Be calm, young one, be calm. You are Ido. You are the one true now. You are safe. He gave her a sip of ether from his own meager reserve and waited patiently until she quieted. Tell me of your journey, he prompted. She explained her experience as best a hatchling could. Mistrax nodded gravely. The Techians, advisors to our hosts, they are like scribes for the Awoken he said, thinking quietly. I know you are frightened, but I am confident this is a blessing. All great things appear first 
as monsters. There may be a day when you are seen as a monster, and your blessing is frightening to those who cannot understand it. When that time comes, remember this moment. Ido nodded, though she didn't fully understand. How could she be a monster? I, too, am sometimes frightened by the Techians, Misrax confided. But we must look beyond our fear to find the light. This is courage. Can you show courage? Ido nodded again. You can, I'm sure of it, Misrax said proudly. The light provides. The light provides, Ido murmured as she lay back down to a peaceful slumber. That's the end of that lore card. So, I mean, obviously some type of, of elixir ritual to, like, kind of help uh, Ido find her place among the people. Well, I, I think it was, I think it's saying that she was asleep, that this was a, a dream oh, that was given to her, okay. a vision that was given to her. Uh, I was thinking of it as, like, a ritual or something like that. Yeah, well, I, I think she was seeing the the techians in her dream performing some kind of ritual gotcha um, gotcha okay but it, it's yep. pointing no, her in now. the direction of like you know the techians are scary but you know they they also you know even though we, we find them scary they are considered sacred amongst their own people yeah and you know you may one day appear to be a monster to someone else that doesn't understand you and and you know kind of gives it that uh, that lesson of, you know, the don't judge a book by its cover kind of yep. thing. Yep. But I think but it's also kind of giving her that that hint of, you know, the Techians, the Techians are the scribes of the Awoken, uh, and kind of planting that seed of, you know, there's there's purpose in that kind of role. Yeah. Yeah. I, li- I like that thought. I like that thought of like, hey, th- th- that's, a, that's a bummer that you're not a splicer. Like, yeah. But there, there, is the, there, there are other roles. Like there, there's, I mean, in any type of society. Okay, you're not the guy guarding the front door. All right, but can you farm? Okay, well, guess what? Now you provide food for all your people. Yeah. You win. Like, yeah. So that's, I like, I like that idea that, that even, even Mithrax is willing to, look past his own pride because i feel like that's a lot of what mithrax has here like especially in the in the in the first one where he's trying to get her to be a splicer like he wants his offspring to be like follow in my footsteps little one and and for him to be able to to kind of sit back and accept okay not a splicer got it what what you know what else can we do what what else uh let's see what else let's see what else you can do and then to have this this dream and and yeah I like that. I like it. And so having this this dream and this revelation uh, lead Ido to try and find out more information about what are scribes and and what do they do and why are they important. And uh, this brings her to none other than Varix, the you know former scribe of salvation and uh, judgment. And uh, we see her conversation, or a piece of her conversation with him, in the Illuminous Cloak. Uh, And that one goes like this. 
And all of the houses respected their decisions? Ido asked, dubious. Yes, Varix replied. It was so agreed by all of Reese. The old scribe traced his fingers along the datapad, deciphering notes that hadn't been accessed in decades. But didn't all the other houses fight amongst each other? Disputing their decisions? Ido leaned forward, fascinated by the idea that one house accruing so much political sway without resorting to violence. To dispute the house of judgment was to dispute all Elixni houses, Varix explained. It was the voice of the Elixni united. Ido puzzled over this. The idea of mediation was not new to her. Misrax had often solved problems between house members without violence. But the idea of organizing a whole society using that method was novel. So it was the ruling house, Ido concluded. Verx clicked his mandibles in annoyance. No, the house of judgment was both above and below all other houses. It was both Kel and Dreg. Its authority came from humility. Ido had only ever known of scribes as political animals, power brokers and go-betweens like Varix. But the idea of scribes as neutral parties, dedicated to peace and knowledge, was enticing. This is why the old scribes pursued knowledge relentlessly. They sought it from uncommon sources, Varix continued. Their knowledge was overwhelming and unyielding. So when a scribe of house judgment decided, all Elixni respected it. They knew that nothing was left unconsidered. Ido nodded raptly. For the first time, she imagined peace, not just as an aspiration, but as a practice and a vocation. And the idea blossomed within her. That's the end of that card. I, I do love this talk that she has with him. Like... I so house house judgment like on Reese was law of the land like they but be but it was law of the land because they were that knowledgeable in whatever field that they were talking about. I like to think of them as like um I know this this military analogy is is probably the like a lot of people aren't going to understand this but this is what it it clicks in my head as uh, uh chief warrant officer five um. So that's like the highest warrant officer that you can be. These are guys that have been in the military for like, they've been in their field for like 20 plus years. And like, that's all they've done for that entire time. And they are literally subject matter experts on everything that has to do with that. So like when a CW5 says something, nobody like, so in the hierarchy of the military, chief warrant officers and chief warrant officers are below 
lieutenants and and officers. Um, well, all lieutenants are officers anyway. Uh, but even even officers will come to a will come to a, a, a chief warrant officer and be like, "Hey, I need help. How do I, how do I do X?" And then whatever the chief warrant officer says, that's like, "All right, that's what we're doing." Full stop. There's no there's no like. Huh. Okay. Well, what if we did it this way? I like I like your idea, but no, it's subject matter expert, and that's what I think of house judgment. They are subject matter expert in everything elixir. They they are, which which is why I feel like there's only like one to a house, because that was that was the whole thing. Is like all of all of house judgment was a single house, but they kind of had like like one guy stationed with each house, like within yeah. each house as their, as their like subject matter expert. And then when, when shit went sideways and they were like, well, how do we, how do we solve this? They're like, well, let's go get the scribe. Let's go get the house judgment. Okay. Come here, guy. How, how, what, what the hell make do and house judgment is like, this is this. And everyone's like, okay. And that's it. Like there's, there's no fighting. There's no disputing it. There's no anything. And so it's, it's peace as a vocation. I really like that. I, I like that saying, peace as a yeah. vocation. But it's but it's not it's not even it's not really truly peace, right? Like it's mediation as as a vocation, like a like a true like knowledgeable person, and and through mediation, through a true neutral party, peace can be attained. I just that's oh oh, Ido, you're so hopeful, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so she has this vision of the Techians, the scribes of the Awoken. She has this discussion with Varix about what the scribes of the Elixni were, or, or the house of judgment of for the Elixni was. And uh, she makes a decision. Um, and we see that in the Illuminous Strides, the boots. Uh, and it goes like this. They may reject you, Mithrax warned. The Techians are not welcoming to outsiders. I understand, the scribe replied. But even if they refuse me instruction, I might still get access to their data archives. That alone would be a lifetime worth of knowledge. You do not have a lifetime to study, Mithrax warned warned you must rejoin the elixni soon they will need guidance we must reach them while there are still some left to help i will learn as much as i can as quickly as i can the scribe turned her palms downward in a show of fealty misrax paused wishing to prolong the moment i recall a time he reminisced, when you were just a hatchling, and the Techians visited you in the night, and you woke screaming. I recall it well, the scribe replied. To tell the truth, they still frightened me. But we must look beyond our fear to find the light. And in that moment, Misrax saw her anew. The scribe shone with a brightness he had never seen before, a mixture of joyful optimism and grim determination. She had finally found her path to the light. I am proud 
to have such a brave scribe as daughter, he said in a break of formality. Thank you, Idle replied, surprised by his tone. I am lucky to have such a wise Kel for my father. And that's the end of that lore card. I can't talk because I'm crying right now. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, okay. Uh, this is this is gonna be tonight, isn't it? This is gonna be this is this is the emotional episode. God, dude, I'm never One gonna be able to fight Elixney ever again. I'm never gonna. I already can't shoot screams. Like I can't. God, dang it. Oh God. <laughs> I, I I don't have any. This is just a beautiful scene. This it is, is a flat out beautiful scene. And uh, there's that's it. Full stop. Next scene. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't do this again, man. <laughs> no, it it is. It's it's nice to see a from from Mithrax's point of view. Uh, you know, he of course wants wants his his daughter to follow in his footsteps and be a grant. You know, a great splicer. And but for him to recognize that that is not her path and offer the level of support that he does in her, you know, her making a decision about what her path is. I lo- oh my God. I'm going to cry again. It's <sighs> good stuff. It's good it is. stuff. It's good. It's good. It's good. How's like good? Oh. So with I, this I little. I want to be in Elixney now. But you know, you never know. One day, someday, one day, Lexney Guardians. Yep, made a light provide. Yep. I ain't playing a darkness subclass, but well, maybe with Aramis, I could. No, 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 no. She's bad. Aramis, bad. Light, good. <laughs> uh, but uh, so with with you know this this venture of Ido finding herself becoming truly the scribe of of the House of Light. Uh, we enter into the events of season of the splicer and uh, this starts out as, as a, you know, as a vex issue. Uh, the, the city is beset by the vex uh, and the vex have entrapped it in this simulation of an endless night where the city does not see daylight. Which is, which I, I, not to like completely just kind of like break up your train of thought and everything, but I, I actually really like that, that thought there because that's the same thing that Osiris saw when he was, when he was going through his different uh, realities during um, Curse of Osiris, when he was, when he was using his reflections to go through the, the um, infinite forest. He saw, he saw like, the 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 light of the of the sun now i know this is just a simulation that the vex are doing to cause this eternal night but the fact that that was like osiris saw that like it i i think that's a very important uh detail there yeah it has a lot of parallels to you know the future osiris saw in the curse of osiris expansion yeah uh, which was just the 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 sun the had the burnt universe. out yeah. And there was nothing left but Vex. That was it. Into the universe. Vex wins. So needless to say, an endless night is not cool. Uh, not only for like vitamin D, but also uh, on a psychological standpoint, being in endless darkness is really rough. 
Yeah. Uh, there, there are lots of real life reports of people that live in areas that have very long um, night cycles during different times of the year. Uh, I believe like Alaska is, yep. is one of those where they will have, depending on the time of year, they may have almost 24 hours of daylight or 24 hours of darkness. Um, and it, it messes with you. It, it really does. It does. Uh, and so this, this is being used as a, as a psychological warfare tactic against the city. Which is, is that kind of odd from the point of view from the Vex? To, to, to act on a psychological thing, or is that just another data point to them? It's a good question. I, I, on one hand, I feel like it's odd because we haven't seen them do that before. But on the other hand, it is a very apt military strategy. And if oh, their yeah. point is overcome everything, you know, everything else that isn't Vex, like this is a very viable strategy to land on and, and go forward with. Yeah. Okay. So I, you could kind of argue either way, I think. You could say they're doing it because they're being directed by, you know, Coria in this case, uh, who's a little bit more than a Vex. Or maybe this is just what they've ended up as, like, this is the way we defeat this particular enemy. Interesting. But, okay. So because of this, uh, Ikora, who has had her hidden watching... um mithrax and the house of light up until this point uh just to know kind of who they are if they pose a threat if they're potential allies uh she knows that mithrax by nature of being a splicer has the ability to access the vex network and sees that as the only or best route forward to try and solve this problem and so she reaches out to Mithrax, to the House of Light, and makes an offer that at the time was unthinkable. And that offer was, you will be given a place under the Traveler in the city if you assist us in removing this endless night. That's that's a... Oh, that's a ballsy, like, I mean, oh man, like, like obviously like now we have the entire Elixney quarters established and everything like that. But at that point in time, there was no Elixney quarter, like to, to have Elixney and, and, and human living together. I mean, we're talking people that have lived in the last city their whole lives possibly and could, re- might remember the battle at six fronts, the battle of, of twilight yeah. gap and think, we're we're gonna let our enemies live here with it like my my husband died because of these guys. Like screw you, Ikora. Like that's like that's that's a real possibility. And for Ikora to just yep. think like, okay, this is the best point of the best course of action, that's bold. That's ballsy. Say it uh it is a gamble on both sides. Um but one that could lead to great things. You know, this could be the beginning of a beautiful partnership and both sides are, are willing to take the risk. Uh, and so Mithrax accepts the offer and the guardian is dispatched to assist them in leaving, uh, Europa with a final kind of group of refugees. 
uh, and transport them to the Batsa district, the Elixni quarter within the city so that they can set up shop and start their new life while, <clears throat> while they uh, work on this, this Vex network problem. Now the Batsa district, that's, that's like, um, that's, that's the old, uh, I say stomping grounds, but that's where the, uh, that's where the, the scourge, the, yep. That's, I mean, that's that's where the whole scourge, like that's like the final stand of the of the scourge, uh, the scourge of the past raid. But that's like, they, God, that's kind of a dick move on Ikora too. Be like, hey, you remember this incursion that failed and we we completely screwed you? <laughs> Why don't you have this place to live? Nobody else is using it. <laughs> that's kind of a dick move. It's a little bit like. It's one of those, yeah, clearly it's the only area that's unoccupied in right. the city. Um, but yeah, at the, at the same time, it's like, really? Did we not have we anywhere? Did, we, didn't, I mean, we didn't even clean up the brig. The brig no, is still sitting there. The that's brig is still there. Like, the, the buildings are, you know, bombed out and broken. Like, that's fucked up, Ikora. What the hell? Who hurt <laughs> you? Clear, clearly an elixir hurt her. That's, yes. And a vex. Yes. Uh, but regardless, they're still excited about this opportunity. They're excited to be so close to the great machine. Like this is the yeah. first time since entering the soul system and Elixni has been able to live in the presence of the traveler. Uh, and that's a big deal. It's a big deal, especially for the house light. And, uh, we see during their time here, uh, and trying to like get things set up and figure out what do we do? you know, with our new neighbors now. Um, Mithrax actually reaches out to Varix a, fu- a, a number of times for uh, counsel on how to deal with different situations or just to give updates as to, to how the, the house is doing. Uh, and these are, um, these messages between the two are on the Lightkin class items and each class item is a different message uh so we're gonna start with the lightkin cloak the hunter cloak uh since chronologically that's the the first message between the two uh and it goes like this so this is a correspondence where it's like mithrax you know colon varix colon so it goes back and forth, but uh, Mithrax starts. Light grace you. Varix. Varix is relieved to hear you, Mithrax. You are there beneath the great machine. Yes, without your assistance, we would never have survived the Vex attack. This is clear. And from this gratitude, you now speak in human language during private correspondence. I follow custom and do not wish my host to think I hide my words from them. How gracious. But Vex attacking you when House Salvation did? Curious, yes? I have not had much time to ponder it. How are the survivors? The hatchlings? 
your daughter. They are all well. Ido is excited beyond words. She has dreamed of this day, but never believed it would come. Why did you not come with us? The great machine has no business with Varix. Besides, who would keep an eye on Aramis? I thought she always the hatchling. Nothing is forever. We know this. I must go, Varix. There is much to do here. Walk quietly in your own shadow, Misrax Kell. That's the end of the first message. I, I mean, who who better to reach out to than Barracks? Like the the one Elixni that's had so much interactions with humans. Like, yeah, that's yeah, that's kind of a no brainer there. I do I do like their little like back and forth there. Like, they. <sighs> They're both respectful, but almost kind of, I don't want to say in a passive aggressive way, but maybe that's just me reading too deep into it. But it, it seems like a little, little passive aggressiveness going on. Maybe there. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But, but again, like Varix again, and, and I love that, that like, oh, always a hatchling. Like that's, that's like the, the arrogance that comes with being house judgment. Like. I know what the fuck I'm talking about. You sh- you shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, <that's... laughs> also, we have to remember that Mistrax was born during the Long Drift, and uh, Varix lived during the Golden Age of the yeah. original Reese. So there is quite a bit of an age difference. I was going to say, Varix is his elder. Like, that's a, it's an even more, like, kind of like... Fuck you, Mithrax. Like, this subliminal, like, <laughs> haha, I'm better than you, Mithrax kill. <laughs> like, yeah. But, but yeah, and, of course, like, you know, he's got to have some excuse to, to just be himself and be out on his own. And Yeah. Who's going to watch Erebus? Oh, well, right. yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, whatever. Yeah, no, nothing. No, no. But, yeah, I do like, I do like these little, this little correspondence between the two of them. Yeah. So, um, this is kind of when they first got settled, uh, you know, and, and he's telling them, yeah, things are, are great. We're finally here under the, the great machine. We never thought this would happen. Uh, and then the next correspondence is a little of time has passed. Um, and you know, Mithrax is, is troubled now by his neighbors and, uh, is is hoping for some guidance. And so in the second correspondence, this is in the Lightkin Mark, the Titan item, uh, we see this conversation. Long days, Grace, Misrax Kettle. Light bless you, Vax. Thank you for taking this time. You sound troubled. Confide. Varix will listen. The humans are... They're not as accepting as I had hoped. They cannot see us as anything but the things of their nightmares. Are we not? I thought things would change. Kel, you may be, 
but you have much to learn about being a Kel yet, Misrax. Change does not come overnight. Not for Elixni, not for humans. Change takes time, effort. Change hurts like first molt. I suppose. Suppose nothing. Misrax Kel is too eager to forget the wolves. Do you remember what it was like to kneel to the queen of the reef? I thought the humans would be different. Hope is hope. Reality is reality. You cannot splice all things to be as you wish. No shortcuts here. No excuses either. Not for humans. Not for Elixni. I miss your counsel. You should visit when things calm. Stand beneath the great machine as you did in the time gone. No, no, Varix cannot. That is then, this is now. My river does not flow backwards. Enjoy your victories, Misrax Kel. Do not let the pain of now overshadow the promise of tomorrow. We should all be so lucky. And that's the end of that one. I, I like that. That one, hope is hope, reality is reality. You can't, you can't just splice, like, if, if something's not working for you, you can't just splice it out of whatever, splice it into whatever you want. Like, ah, that's such a, God, house judgment really is like, I mean, it, I, I understand, like, there's a little bit of arrogance that, that's there on on Varric's side but at the same time like he kind of he kind of he kind of earned it yeah i, I mean it comes like, from experience <laughs> yeah like it's it's and i i don't i don't know that i don't know that Varric actively flaunts that arrogance like every once in a while it seems like he does like that like like the very first line the like you know many days or whatever and, and they've been stuck in this eternal night and i'm like was that <laughs> Was that a was that a passive aggressive fuck you? Like, is that <laughs> was that like a haha? Told you so. Like, life ain't so great as a traveler, is it? Yeah, <laughs> not all not all kittens and butterflies, is it? No. <laughs> yeah. So we have one final correspondence between these two, um, which is a little further into the season, uh, and this is where um you know during some of the cutscenes here after they have come into the city uh there's discussions of okay how are supplies divvied up uh and these discussions are had between saint 14 osiris and lakshmi uh lakshmi 2 and lakshmi is very much the I don't know if anti elixni like she's she's pro city at the expense of the elixni if needed. 
I I I feel like that's borderline anti-Elixney. Like that's I suppose, yeah. Short, short of just actively coming out and going, "Hey, fuck those guys. They can't live here." Like that's like yeah, short she, of doing that, <laughs> which that, that, that she is came what she's doing. Close. <laughs> that is what she's doing. She's doing in a very like you know, very graceful, very political yeah. kind of like backhanded compliment way. Yeah, not okay with that at all. Yeah, definitely not okay with that. So Mithrax has found himself, you know, he's moved his whole house here, uh, this great opportunity that he never thought would happen. But, you know, he's trying to solve this problem. And the entire time he's trying to solve this problem, he's also having some issues with this, you know, semi-leadership of the city just trying to do like basic things get supplies make sure his people are are fed and have you know space to live here and is constantly butting heads with lakshmi and i uh, reaches out to varix to try and uh vent some of these frustrations uh, so this is in the Lightkin Bond, the Warlock item. And uh, this transmission goes like this. Misrax Kel knows what time it is on Europa, yes? My apologies, Varex. No apologies. Own choices, yes? Do better what is misrax kel seeking perspective i know i am finding myself at odds with an exo a leader of humanity she does not trust our kind and i fear what may come of her intolerance trust is earned yes this is different, blunt, cold. She does not wish to give trust. There is no transaction, just anger. Varix knows this. Varix also remembers Misrax Kel as a soft-shelled hatchling, always mewling always wishing to make friends, even with the older dregs who would push him. Misrax Kel, always trying. Is peace not worth trying for? With those who accept peace in their hearts? Yes, some only know war. Only want war. Not all battles can be won with words. Then what? I cannot strike at her. It would confirm all of the humans' worst fears. This is where Misrax Kel and Varix differ. But perhaps also where we are similar. Do you trust any of the humans? Yes, some. 
with your life. Some. There is Misrax Kell's perspective. Thank you, Varix. Do not thank Varix yet. The day is long, but the night is longer. And that's the end of that one. All right, all right. that last one was a direct fuck you. <laughs> that was that was a str- like you couldn't be more ag- <sighs> whatever, Varix. But it, it, I like, I I feel like Varix would stab a yeah. I, oh, like, he absolutely would. <laughs> Varix would slit her throat and be like, "I win, you lose, suck it." Like that's that would have been the end of that conversation. Yep. So yeah, that's I like Varix saying, "Yeah, we, this is where we differ." But we're also kind of similar. Like, we still want what's best for our people. And maybe the best option is not to just slit a throat in the middle of the night, no matter how long or <laughs> endless that night is, as I remind you at the end of my transmission. Right. Like, come on, Barracks. I get it. The sun is out. Like, you don't have to rub it in. I, I get that. I get that here it's been nighttime for 17 days or however long it's been. I get that there it's probably 2 a.m. Because he absolutely woke him up in the middle of the night. But, oh yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Lot, lot of wisdom in that one. Lot, of, lot of really yeah. good wisdom. And, and again, a lot of showing of, of character on both sides. Like uh, throughout all these correspondence, a lot of showing of character on, on both Mithrax and, um, Varix. Yeah, and you know, Varix is, is you know, doesn't know the situation with Lakshmi, uh, you know, in detail. But he's, he's saying, you know. Trust has to be earned, but not everyone is looking yeah. for trust. Not everyone is looking for peace. You know, some some wars can't be fought with words. Yeah. And uh you know, thankfully it never gets to that point with Lakshmi because she is her own undoing. But uh I mean, what if she had survived? Like what yeah, what would have happened if we had, had that kind of scenario? Cause, uh, what if Mithrax had slit someone's throat in the middle of the night? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what if? I, what I if? don't like, I mean, pirate Mithrax, absolutely. But pirate Mithrax probably wouldn't be living under the shadow of the great machine in a last in the last city of humanity. Like, uh, yeah, a lot, yeah, lot of what ifs going on here, like, you know, left turns instead of rights here. But yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think Lakshmi got what she deserved. I think so too. I think so too. So, uh, at this point in the seasonal story, cause the seasonal story is really Vex based as much as it is. Yep. Elixney. Like the stuff you're doing in the season is all Vex based. So take, there take really it. Isn't much to, yeah. There, there really isn't much to describe as far as the Elixney are concerned with what the guardian is doing. Uh, a lot of this stuff is happening while the guardian is out, uh, attacking the Vex with the help of Mithrax. Um, but the, the situation in the city, uh, you know, Mithrax is, is here and he can roam around and talk to some characters that we know and get a perspective from some of the other older guardians, you know, some of the, the, the old guard that have been around since the, the dark ages, 
Uh, and one of those that he ends up having a conversation with and a very interesting conversation is Shaq's. Okay. And we see this conversation on uh, the lore card for the hand cannon survivors epitaph. Uh, and it goes like this. To be the first elixni to bask in the presence of the traveler since the whirlwind was an honor that Mithrax, Kel of House Light, never imagined for himself. And as he stood on the tower walkway below the scar left in the wake of the Almighty, he meditated on the choices in his life that had led to this point. He wondered if there was a unifying thread binding all these events together, but he would have no time to ponder such things. A shadow crept over Mithrax, broad shoulders and a curling horn, seeing the stark outline of Lord Shax looming on the stairs, elicited centuries-old instinct, and it was temperance that kept Mithrax's hand from his weapon. I didn't expect to actually find you here, Shaq said as he continued down the stairs with the slow, plodding steps. Were you there? What? Shaq came to stand beside Mithrax at the railing. Were you there? He asks again. This time he pointed without looking to a place on the horizon beyond the traveler. Mithrax followed Shax's gesture with his eyes. He did not understand. The Battle of Six Fronts, Shax insisted with uncharacteristic softness. Do you know how many fallen I killed there? Mithrax bristled at the question, and he felt that instinctual urge to reach for his weapons again. But the presence of the traveler and the question that nagged at the back of his mind stayed his hands. How many? he asked, not wanting to know the answer. Shax deflated, folded his arms over the railing, and rested his considerable weight against it. Hundreds, he said quietly. All of them died afraid. Mithrax felt ether mixing with bile in the back of his throat. His limbs trembled, rage burned in his gut, demanding manifestation. But he tempered his anger, sighed so deep that the ether on his breath was briefly visible as an iridescent cloud. How many humans have you killed? Shax wondered. Too many, Mithrax answered and even that felt insufficient on his tongue. The thought of it twisted his insides around. He sighed again, deeper this time, and Shax watched the sublimated ether glitter in the light. When I heard you were in the tower, Shax said, I thought I'd just throw you over the edge of the wall. I thought about the people I watched die at the hands of your houses over the years. The lightless torn limb from limb during the Dark Age. He snorted out a rueful laugh. And then I started to think about them. Silence hung in the air for a moment. 
long enough for Mithrax to ask, Who? Three scavengers, huddled together in a collapsed storm drain. They had taken food during a time of famine. Maybe it was for themselves, maybe another settlement, maybe family, Shaq shrugged. I killed them all, all three, with my bare hands. My victims were humans, too, Shax clarified, and the cow felt his anger twist into confusion. I was a warlord in the Dark Ages, convinced myself of the necessity of my own barbarism by painting it with noble colors. Those loyal to me built a legend that masked the blood and the rot. But it's still there. He tapped his fingers against his breastplate. Deep down. The shadow had become long, stars now visible in the sky, and the traveler was cast in half-shadow. There was a ship. Mithrax eventually replied. It may have been soldiers, civilians. I do not know. He looked away from the travelers he spoke. I led a boarding party onto it. We slaughtered any who resisted and rounded up those who survived. Shax turned to look at Mithrax a wordless question in his faceless mask. We argued what to do with the prisoners. Some suggested we keep them as warning trophies. Others said to barter with them. Mithrax looked away, shoulders sagged. But I was young, impatient. He closed his eyes. I opened the airlock. It seemed the simplest solution. Both soldiers sank into silence again and remained so as the last glimpse of sunlight descended beyond the horizon. Shaq sullenly took his leave and Mithrax was left with the remnants of anger and confusion and paradoxically an answer. He saw then the thread of choices leading to this moment. The choices that led to the great machine and away from a fate like Aramis had suffered. It was something both he and Shax learned to accept in spite of a light lifetime of experience telling them otherwise. Mercy. And that's the end of that one. I, th- I think I'm just super emotional tonight because I'm, I'm about to cry again. Um... <laughs> Jesus. Oh, okay. Or maybe I have been crying. I don't know. I had to mute myself for a while. That was <laughs> that was a little much. Um, I, I, maybe I'm just super emotional tonight. I don't know. Um, oh God. Um, I, I don't have I don't have words for this one. Like this is just to like God. I have no words for this. I really don't. To think of this as like. You know, two old soldiers, I mean, old soldiers, um, having done terrible, terrible things all in the, all in the name of like what they think is right. 
and and to have to live with that for the rest of their lives that's that's i i don't have words for that why is why is this one so fucking emotional tonight jesus i'm i was not ready for these readings <laughs> i mean if anyone missed this theme while we were doing the last seven episodes the elixni kind of have it rough oh my god they do jesus there's there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of everything all twisted up on both sides and uh you know it, it is nothing short of a minor miracle that the uh elixni are are able to 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 live under the traveler in the city yeah. um you know and and this is a moment where uh you know shacks and and Mithrax are uh, finding kind of common ground. It's it's one of the, you know, Shax says, you know, I've I've done terrible things. Like my my victims were human too. Yeah, it's it's not like he he's saying I I have been as much of a monster as you have. There's a there's a there's a quote from a movie, and I can't I can't place the movie or the quote correctly. Um, but I'm remembering it as like something about like I count them all. I I count them all every night. Like, and and it's 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 basically something like this where it's like an old soldier that that's like has you know killed so many and and he can't he can't like he can't see past their faces anymore. Like he counts them all every night. And, and so, you know, like that's, that's almost what I expected Shax to be like when he pointed out, like, were you there? Like I and it was like, you know how many I killed and to give like an exact number and to be like, I count them all. But it's so many that he can't even, he can't even calculate it. Like that's, yeah. yeah. Oh man. It's, is there more of like this tonight? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't know that I can handle much more. So, uh, we're going to break it up though with one that's on the happier side. Okay. Um, it better not it, be too happy. Cause then I like with the emotional head thing that I'm doing right now, this pendulum swinging everywhere, man. I'm <laughs> so happy for house for Ido and Scr- like, it, ugh, I can't, I can't, I can't myth. I just can't. <laughs> So uh, the next one we're going to read is a interaction between um, the drifter and the uh, new Elixney neighbors. And, uh, you know, during, during the season, this long night has been going for a while and Lakshmi has been this entire time really subtly at first trying to rile up the general populace against the elixney you know they already weren't terribly thrilled with the elixney moving in but now you have lakshmi a political leader of future war cult uh who is again at first subtly suggesting that you know this is not the place for them this is not where they belong we should you know they they should go find their own home you know being very like you know it's not that we're you know it's not that we're racist they just don't belong here essentially was her messaging she like and they get way more aggressive as the season goes on oh yes oh yes 
It's yeah, Lakshmi bad, yo. So, uh, needless to say, they they have some altercations with the the locals here and there, uh, and they have a few unexpected uh, faces that kind of come to the rescue every now and then. Um, so this one is off the borrowed time SMG from Gambit, uh, and features the drifter. Uh, this one goes like this. The drifter smelled trouble the moment he entered the bar. His first instinct was to turn around and leave, but he noticed the hooded figure standing nervously nearby, conspicuously inconspicuous. Their hooded cloak was pulled low over their face, but they leaned to the side, intent on catching every angry shout from the crowd of locals in the corner. Tell what's-his-name to take it easy, Drifter grumbled as he walked by. I'll handle this. Take it easy, parroted a polite voice from somewhere under the figure's cloak. I heard him, said the figure, but there was relief in his voice. As Drifter pushed into the crowd, he noted who was armed, who was shouting, and who was doing both. Most seemed to fit into the final category. He smiled. History had taught him the quiet ones were always the most dangerous. He reached the center of the tight knot and found three Elixni sitting at a table, trying to ignore the crowd around them. Undaunted, he pushed his way onto the chair arm of the biggest Elixni like a feral cat. The elixir growled, but Drifter tossed trust into the center of the table with a heavy thud. Drifter turned towards the crowd. What's got you fine folk all riled up tonight? Take it you don't listen to the radio much, someone said, and the crowd laughed. Places I like tend to have bad perception, Drifter replied. Tell me, what I miss? The group all spoke at once, a cacophony of accusations. Whoa, cried the drifter. Seems like some of you have been spending too much time staring at that fake night. He turned to the elixir. Now somewhere in this commotion, I think I heard shouting of missing equipment. So I gotta ask, he said. You fellas been taking what don't belong to you? The big elixir spoke. His voice was deep and steady. We had confusions with your people. Where, where was self-supply and where was all supply? He shrugged. We learned and we compensated. Drifter nodded. Makes sense for settling into a new place. Ain't a soul here who hasn't checked their neighbor's tool shed for spare SMG parts. A voice spoke, Hey, I'm missing an SMG, but Drifter held up a hand. And I don't want to hear they caught any blame for the big night. I swear it's like some folks' brains just wilt in the dark. I know Mithrax is working with the Vanguard to figure out who this whole figure out this whole vex thing, he said. The elixir seemed to relax a bit, but Drifter held up a finger. I do have one question of my own, he said. We've been fighting for a long time, your folk and mine. That's no secret. Plenty of blood spilled on both sides over the years. 
But I hear stories some of you fellas from the old days caught the hunger. The big elixir shifted tensely in his seat as the crowd pressed in. Drifter leaned in close. Nasty rumor, even says you guys chomped on the occasional toddler. The elixir pushed his chair back and lunged to his feet as the crowd gasped. Drifter stood his ground, somehow staring down the elixir that was a full meter taller than him. Never, you're young. The elixir boomed. Never. Drifter nodded. But the rest? The elixir looked at the crowd, then brought his massive head close to the drifter, his voice steady. We, old ones. We who have been fighting since the beginning. Yes. We sometimes took your dead fighters so that we could live. It was war he said, and poked at Drifter's chest with a clawed finger. And you are made of meat. Drifter smiled. I hear you, brother, he said and looked at the elixir's claw. Hell, you point that thing at me, all I can think is how good it tastes with garlic butter. Mm-hmm. He leaned toward the looming creature and ran his tongue over his lips. The elixir sized up the tiny man, then dropped his shoulders. But as I say, that was long ago. We are house light now, and forevermore. We have peace with your people. Drifter reached up and patted the elixir's chest. That's right, he said, and the elixir sat down. And though it don't erase the bad old days, he said as he turned to the crowd, that don't mean it's time to bring them back, either. A dissatisfied grumble rose from the crowd but the fight had gone out of them. The elixir shrugged. Misrak says we are never to eat people again, he said quietly. Drifter nodded. Yeah, Zavala tells me the same damn thing. The elixir burst into coughing laughter, and the drifter laughed back, picked up his gun from the table, and waved the crowd away as he pulled over an empty seat. Now make room, he said. These fellas were just about to lose at cards. And that's the end of that one. Hashtag Drifter for speaker. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Drifter knows how to defuse a situation with, I mean, hey, I'm, I'm missing some SMG parts too. No, 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 no. It don't matter. <laughs> I love I love that. Tim, Tim, Tim in the corner is like, hey, I was just missing some last week. Yeah. Uh, mm, crab crab heads with 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 butter sauce. Mm, so tasty. Mm. Mm, garlic and butter sauce. Elixney crab heads. No, this is this is. Uh, I, oh man, it's 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 a good scene. It really is. Like to be able to to be able to diffuse that situation the way he did. Like he's he's he just has a charisma about him. He definitely rolled a, oh, a he twenty for charisma. He oh, had yeah. to have. Drifter's a bard, all the way. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Found the bard. <laughs> yep. 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 But uh, the the cloaked figure that they're talking about at the beginning, that's just kind of sitting there, ready to, you know, really starting to get amped up and ready to jump in if they need to, is uh, is none other than Crow, who, as we uh, know, is a 
a big uh, you know Advocator. fan of the elixir. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He found his people. He did, and although he didn't need to step in this time, there is another time where he does. Uh, so as are we, get, the, are we gonna get emotional again? Uh, I don't know. I, this one isn't <laughs> as bad, I don't think. Okay. Um, I need I need like a warning before each one of these now. Like <laughs> the way this night is going, I'm literally on this like I don't know. Like I don't know. I need warnings before all these. This this one isn't isn't too bad. Uh, so as the as time has gone on, and uh, the the long night uh, has you know ebbed away at people's uh you know frustrations and and they just they want it to end uh and it's making them angry at everything you know minor annoyances are becoming this these huge deals and uh they you know they've been directed as as we saw in the last one have you heard the radio like lakshmi is making broadcast starting to to implicate the Elixni as being the reason for this night, even though it started before they arrived. Uh, and so people are deciding to, they need to take things into, into their own hands and show these Elixni that they're not, they're not welcome here. And that leads us to the scene uh, in the lore card called Sabotage in the Beneath the Endless Night lore book. And it goes like this. Two dozen humans, their faces mostly covered with makeshift masks, slunk into the Batsa district under the cover of darkness. Some were armed with weapons, though most carried workaday tools like crowbars and wrenches. They planned to infiltrate the Elixni quarter and find evidence of aggression. If that failed, they would send a clear message that the House of Light was unwelcome in the last city. Knives tore into banners, noxious fumes filled the air, paint cans rattled. The hum of the machinery around them disguised the sounds of their labor, while hushed voices conferred in terse, conspiratorial tones. I think this is their food, a young woman whispered to her male companion, while warily looking over her shoulder. She didn't see anyone as they crouched by a large ether tank but she imagined the elixni crowded together in a nearby building. Did they even sleep? Here, give me a hand with this, her companion said, pointing to what he guessed was a control panel. Together they pried the faceplate off, revealing a mess of wiring beneath. They shared a furtive glance and began pulling out wires by the fistful, hands shaky, blood pounding in their ears. A low whistle, like a bird call, fluted through the air. When they looked up, a hunter stood over them only a few paces away, his face shadowed by a cowl. He held his hand cannon at hip level, aimed straight at them. Their co-conspirators, drawn by the sound, gathered in their periphery, mentally calculating their chances, not a single one like the odds. Even those who came armed expected to fight fallen not a guardian. The hunter called out in a half-whisper, I don't want any trouble. The woman stood frozen as the young man beside her moved toward the hunter, his jaw set. No, his companion hissed, are you crazy? She grabbed his arm to haul him back 
behind the ruined ether tank, but he wrenched it free. The young man stepped forward towards the hunter. You are on the wrong side of this thing, he started. The hunter pulled back on the hand cannon's hammer with an audible click. I don't think I am, he replied. Unwilling to test the hunter's mettle, the young man called over his shoulder. Let's go. The hunter narrowed his eyes, watching as the young man slinked past him and spat at his feet. Something old and terrible rose up inside. It took all his focus to steady his hand. The conspirators peeled away from their hiding places one by one, disappearing off into the dark. Some hissed insults and dispersions at the hunter under their breath, though none dared to look at him. In just a few minutes, the block was deserted, except for the hunter who stood alone in the street until his ghost compiled over his shoulder. It chirped with concern. You wouldn't really have shot them, right? The hunter hesitated as he holstered his weapon. They needed to know I was serious, Glint. But you weren't, his ghost insisted. Wordlessly, the hunter began making his way through the destruction. Someone would sound the alarm soon. He didn't want to be here when they did. Tell me you weren't serious, his ghost said again. Were you? And that's the end of that one. Yeah. Good guy, Crow. Somebody's got to stand up for the little guy. He would have shot him. He would have 100% oh, yeah. shot him. I, <laughs> dude, I think he, so. He, Crow's gone through so much worse, like... So much worse when he was first raised. Like, he, he would have shot him. Yeah, and it just, you know, Crow and Drifter, uh, you know, they're both they're both looking out for the Elixir on the on the, the street level, you know. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're not dealing with the leadership that Mithrax is dealing with. They're dealing with the the populace. I was trying to say, it's, it's almost like gang, almost like gang warfare, like... Ish... Kinda yeah, like yeah. not not fully there yet, right? Like this is probably the most active we've seen out of the out of humanity living in the has, in the in the city, um, alongside the Elixni, and and for them to obviously for them to be the aggressors is that's that's a, that's a no no. That's just a bad idea. Yeah. But then no, for I like mean... big bad crow, like you know, guardian hunter, like hey, you wanna. You want to fuck around and find out? <laughs> and, and every single one of them, like, man, this is stupid. And yeah, like, that's, yeah. that's that's what I see happening, like, like a '90s like street gang fight. Like, this is stupid. I'm gonna go home and do some math homework. Like, that's yeah, that's what yeah. that's what I yeah. So, I, uh, but despite. These differences, despite the, you know, generally there being a, a very negative connotation around the Elixni living here in the city, um, they're, they're really trying their, their best to integrate as much as they can. And um, I should say some of them are, you know, clearly there's going to be Elixni that are also not terribly thrilled about this, but there, there are certainly others that are, are really, they, they want to make this work. And uh, we see one, one such elixir in the 
chapter three, Gifts from the Shore, lore card from the Beneath the Endless Night lore book. And uh, this one goes like this. Though the metal crate they were carrying likely weighed more than they did, the two Elixni gave St. Fourteen a wide berth on their way to the Elixni quarter. You see how they distrust, St. grumbled. Amanda Holliday scanned the crate into her data pad. The unexpected shipment of emergency supplies from the tangled shore nearly offloaded. Don't be such a sourpuss, she said lightly. Mixing with new folks, good for the soul. I mix, objected Saint, but the fallen, they do not enjoy my company, and I feel the same for them. Maybe that's exactly why Ikora picked you for this, Amanda says. Though Saint was fully helmeted, she could swear he rolled his eyes. Two more Lixney came bearing another crate. One noticed Saint too late and stumbled dropping the crate. Its security locks popped as it crashed to the ground. A young elixni wearing house-light colors and a bright orange and blue vanguard lanyard scampered over in distress. Saint sighed. It is fine, he said to the elixni. Spider probably sends more surplus from old house of dusk. Knowing you could carry supplies from our enemies is a great joke to him. He dragged the crate out of the walkway with one hand and knelt to repair the locks. As Amanda scanned the damaged crate, the young Lixney came closer. He eyed Saint warily and then held up a sheaf of paper like a shield. Manifest, he stated haltingly. Thank you, Amanda said with unforced brightness. She tapped her data pad. I've got it digitally. You got it digitally, echoed the elixni. He fidgeted for a moment and then proudly held up the badge onto his lanyard, which read, Temporary. Amanda smiled. What have you got there? Authorization for unloading of supplies from Tangled Shore. Of supplies sent from Spider, he said. He leaned in slowly, looking carefully at Saint and Amanda. My gentleman, he added slyly. Amanda snorted so abruptly that Saint fumbled with the lock, crushing it in his hand. Saint looked up. Can you two not be quiet? Come on now, Amanda admonished Saint. I don't hear you practicing your elixir. And this fellow's doing his best to bridge the gap. Amanda turned back to the elixir. That ain't exactly right, but you speak our language pretty well, she said. Thank you, answered the elixir, clearly eager for conversation. Do all humans here serve spider cow? Serve spider, Amanda spat. Spider's nothing but a... And the five spirited words that followed were replete with hard consonants. The elixni froze, wary of her tone while not understanding her words. Amanda caught herself and took a breath. Which is our way of saying he's a kind and generous individual, 
she said to the Elixni, who nodded along with her. This lock has been ruined by distractions, Saint said as he rose to his feet. He removed the lid and looked inside, and then lifted a loose coil of rubbery tubes. Servitor plugs, filters, ether circulators? The titan made a confused noise. Something wrong? Amanda asked. Not at all, mumbled Saint as he picked up a small golden cylinder trailing braided sapphire cords. This rebreather alone is worth more than my ship. Amanda moved towards Saint and looked for herself. She recognized few necessary survival items. Condensed prefab, ceramic plating, vapor distillers, generator couplings. But amongst the tubes and fillers were otherworldly treasures. A nanomesh sphere filled with thick, thick pink liquid. A chrome conduit splitter with entropic plating. A glimmering opal sparkling in a nest of delicate lavender sponges. The hell is Spider playing at? Amanda said to herself. She called out to the elixni. Are they all like this? Yes. Each one is very full. Full of delights from our culture, from our home. We are very thanks. He cocked his head and clicked. Thankful? Amanda nodded. Let me see that manifest, she said, taking the papers from the elixni. He nodded and rejoined the other workers. They will still need many of our resources to stay here, Saint said as he carefully resealed the crate. But this will make things easier. I am surprised Spider is so generous, even to his own people. Amanda frowned at the manifest. This doesn't make sense, she said. There's a note at the top. Don't know what half this stuff is, but it's got to be good if Spider had it, she read. It's all written by hand, and there aren't values for anything on here. Sate looked at the papers over Amanda's shoulder. The crates came from Spider's storehouse, he said. If he did not send them, who did? Look at this listing, Amanda continued. This item says best osmosis filters hidden in his bottom drawer. This item is just a row of question marks. Here's one list as a clock thing. This line says noisy cube, smells bad, but everyone likes it. And what's with this signature? Amanda squinted at the shape scrawled at the bottom of the form. It's a ship, she guessed, handling the paper to Saint. The Titan turned his head as he looked at the drawing. Aha! He cried, slapping the paper with the back of his hand. Look, is bird. Amanda looked again at the uneven charcoal lines and could just make out the wobbly black bird. She let out a long breath and shook her head. Awful artist, she said. But I guess he's the right guy. And suddenly, she was smiling. And that's the end of that lore card. You have no idea how many times I laughed <laughs> during this. Like, this has got to be the fucking <laughs> god. 
my first thought was like, ooh, Amanda said some bad words. And then it just gets hilarious from there on out. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, thing that smells bad. <laughs> what? <laughs> sparkly coil from hidden drawer this is just a line of question marks what (laughs) what the fuck even is this this is clearly clearly crow crow is clearly stealing from spider like oh he's he's bird like who else would recognize a bird but the saint like and and amanda just like god he's He's such an idiot. Like <laughs> his, uh, his bird. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I very intentionally did not attempt a Russian accent because my nose is very plugged and that would not go well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that was, but, yeah. Yeah. So this, this, is, this is very this much. Is super cute. I like this. Yeah. This, this is very much Crow is stealing stuff from Spider. His bottom drawer. He, does, one he doesn't of these even items. know what the fuck he's stealing. Like, that's the no. worst. That's the crazy. <laughs> he has no fucking clue what he is looking at or picking up and just like, huh, that looks expensive. It throws it in a throws it in a box and is like, oh, lock. Let's go. We're just, yeah. hey, it came from Spider. Ha ha ha. Like, yeah. Yeah. So he, uh, yeah, he's just tossing stuff in a crate. Uh, one of spider's crates and then shipping it off to the city <laughs> and uh and then digitally, <laughs> digitally altering i mean the, the, oh, yeah 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 crow well, is being crow he's he's crow's an all right guy yeah God, give him a chance amanda uh i've i'm holding out hope yet I that, am that too. ship ain't sailed yet not yet but uh but then, then there's this little this little Elix Steve with the temporary badge who's very I like, was so confused at that too. I'm like, yeah. temporary badge. What do you mean temporary badge? Like what does that <laughs> even mean? Like So it's it's a Vanguard badge that says temporary. So I think it's it's saying like temporary it, member of the Vanguard <laughs> kind of thing. Is yeah. it like those stickers that the firefighters give to like kids? <laughs> Maybe. Is maybe. this Elixir walking around with this sticker badge? Like, see, it says Vanguard. It says temporary, but it still says Vanguard. That's that's Vanguard. I'm Vanguard material right here, baby. Like, <laughs> well, and he's so proud of it. He's he's, he's like he walked up and showed it. it to Amanda. He's like, <laughs> he look at this. Off. I'm a I'm an honorary <laughs> Vanguard. It's only temporary, but I'm still there. Yeah. No, that's yeah. I. This is. This is the most ridiculous, but also like the best. Like I don't, I don't know. This, this, this is a good one. This is a good one. This, this is a good one. Um, so we we have some further adventures with our little Elixney friend here, uh, and we get to see one of the uh, other stops they make. On the Chroma Rush uh, lore card, and uh, they they have a bit of fun in a human restaurant of all places, and uh, that one goes like this: The Elixni awkwardly shouldered its way onto the empty stool at the ramen shop and rested its four elbows on the bar. Maurice looked up over the huge pot of broth and, thinking a titan in one of their ridiculous helmets had arrived for lunch, called out, Irashamasi, 
It wasn't until he absently stepped to the bar that he realized who his customer was. Metal plating covered the creature's forehead and the side of its face, ending in a nuzzle that hissed a stream of bluish mist, a haphazard collision of heavy canvas and metallic weave draped over its shoulders, a vanguard lanyard dangling absurdly from its neck. It was small for an elixni, but its angular head still towered above Maurice as it hunched over the bar. Four blue eyes looked back at him from above a lipless mouth. It opened, revealing rows of thin, sharp teeth. One item, ramen soup, the elixni croaked stiltedly. Please. Maurice held his breath, tightened his grip on his pencil, and grinned. He grinned when he was nervous and this seemed like as good a time as any. The elixir grinned back, nodded, then opened its horrible mouth again. I smelled it, and the smell was good, it said. Maurice scanned the bar. His other customers sat frozen, their bowls of ramen steaming silently in front of them. He realized his mouth had apparently decided to talk on its own, as if nothing were wrong. He heard himself ask, How spicy? Zero to five stars. The elixir had anticipated this question. Spicy. Five stars, it said, holding up one hand with three claws splayed and another with two. May I receive additional dead flesh, please? You got it, Maurice said, his even voice betraying none of his tension, and he turned back to the bubbling pot of broth. Muscle memory took over, and he soon found himself placing a steaming bowl of ramen in front of the creature, who clucked cheerfully. Maurice took a half-step back. A small crowd was forming in the walkway in front of the restaurant. Some of the customers leaned in as their curiosity overcame their terror. Maurice noticed the woman in seat two needed more water, but it could wait. The elixir raised its arms tentatively, then looked at to Maurice again. What is the protocol? Maurice found himself unsure of which pair of elixir eyes to look into and focus on. Well, you eat the noodles and pork and egg with... Egg, repeated the elixir, enjoying the unfamiliar word. Yeah, egg. You eat all that with the chopsticks, and you get the broth with the spoon. Marie saw how the elixir's claws dwarfed the ceramic spoon. Or you can just lift the whole bowl and, and drink it. Maurice mimed, lifting a bowl to his lips. The elixir nodded. Its claws tapped the metal on its face, and the hissing blue mist mist ceased. The elixir held the chopsticks, tested their weight, and respectfully placed them back on the bar, before bringing the bowl to its mouth with its upper arms. Above the ramen bowl, Maurice saw all four of the elixir's eyes close. A long moment of tension fell over the shop the silence broken only by the staccato series of hissing slurps. Finally, the elixir lowered the empty bowl, 
It breathed in as the blue mist resumed its thin spray. It looked towards Maurice. I tasted all of it, it said with deep satisfaction. I am very thankful. Maurice's grin turned into a tentative smile. Glad you enjoyed it. The elixir stood and held out what looked like a small model of the traveler. It glowed as it floated in the elixir's palm. Compensation, it said. Maurice reached to take the treasure and then drew his hand back. For new customers, there's no charge, he said. No compensation. Thank you for coming in. The elixir cocked its head and then clucked, and the model vanished beneath the folds of its cloak. It smiled at Maurice. You, it said, and then cleared its throat with a rumble. You are a... And the five spirited words that followed were replete with hard consonants. And in the confused silence that followed, the elixir nodded graciously, and then walked through the crowd outside and deeper into the city. And that's the end of that lore card. <laughs> Shit! <laughs> this, oh my god! I, I wasn't ready for the end of that one. I was not ready at all for that. Like, I knew it was coming. Like, I remember reading this lore card, and I knew it was coming. And it just, like... <laughs> Shit! Uh, lost uh, in translation, right? Like that's the yep. yeah. Well, clearly, I mean, clearly Amanda, there's a translation area. <laughs> Amanda told told, told this Elixney. Oh, that's cut. that's just what we call someone who we think is a kind and generous individual. Oh, clearly shit. being sarcastic, but he doesn't pick up on it. It doesn't. It doesn't. If they don't, uh, do they even know sarcasm? They, right. Like, yeah. Uh, the, yeah. Oh my god. This this poor ramen shop has no clue what the <laughs> fuck just happened. Literally no clue what the hell just happened. Like this giant. I mean, Elixney are big. Like that's. I. I don't think that's really well. Um, no. uh, shown off in game, but Elixney are huge. Like, like the biggest one we see is Mithrax, and then like there's a few cutscenes, and it, I think they're from like season of the Splicer, where like Mithrax is standing next to somebody, and like the like his his upper arms are just at the top of human heads. So yeah. it's like they're they're huge. They are huge. And so this giant thing walks in and Maurice is just like, eh, another Titan. Uh wait a second. <laughs> and, and muscle memory. I love that. The whole the whole time literally is just muscle memory. Like he has no yep. idea what is happening. And it's all just muscle memory. And Lixney's like, mm, that was really good. And walks like calls him a blah 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 and walks out <laughs> just happy as could be. Maurice's just like, what the fuck just happened? What is happening? Am I getting pranked? What the hell is going on here? Yeah. Yeah. So he's still he's so proud of that that Vanguard he's tent so badge proud too. Of it. He's wearing he's it everywhere. He's everywhere. So I'm I'm Vanguard. I'm Vanguard. Like it's it's absolutely <laughs> a fucking firefighter badge sticker, is what it is. Uh, I love it. I freaking love it. So we've got two, maybe three more readings for tonight. I know it's a longer episode, but we're really wanting to uh, try and finish off the Elixney stuff 
um, you know, in this episode. Uh, and I say two or three because the third one kind of depends. Uh, we can, we can stop here in our adventures of the temporary badge elixir, uh, or we can continue with one more card. Uh, and we can see how things go for them. But I'm going to warn you now, it is it is not a nice card. Oh no. So oh, no. we can we can leave this one for everyone to decide if they want to investigate on their own or uh and and you know for our purposes this is the end of their story, or we can complete it even though it may not be you know rainbows and sunshine. I feel like we have to, because with with every oh God, I'm gonna oh, okay. I'm I'm gonna prep myself. I'm a, I'm a I'm gonna get myself mentally ready for this. Okay, okay. I'm ready. I think in my brain, <laughs> in my gray matter, up in my skull, I am ready. All right. I may not be ready anywhere else, but I am ready. Let's do well, this. Well, say for for anyone that wants to leave this with the happy ramen shop uh skip ahead say five minutes hopefully five uh hopefully five for everyone else (laughs) that wants to see this story through this is a reading from the shattered cypher lore card uh which is a machine gun from season the splicer and it goes like this helena looked suspiciously at the broken windows and the abandoned building and checked her datapad coordinates again. She'd never been to this corner of the city before. Mom, she called doubtfully, hearing her voice echo in the empty space. Back here, answered her mother, and Helena's stomach dropped. She pulled open a rusty door and found her mother in a low, concrete room, frantically packing the contents of a long table into duffel bags. Along the far wall, another woman was balling up a plastic tarp. The room smelled like chemicals. A man shouldering a large black bag pushed his way past her in a cloud of cologne, alcohol, and sour sweat. Helena noticed a small signal jammer blinking orange on the table. Behind it, an exo was waist-deep at a rebar-lined fracture in the floor. Tight fit he grunted as he wriggled his way deeper into the gap. But I'm guessing he didn't get far. I'll find him. He vanished into the hole. What's going on? Helena asked. Don't ask questions, her mother said as she shrugged a damp strand of blonde hair out of her face. We need to get moving. She nodded toward the far corner of the room. You take that pile. Helena crossed her arms warily. Mom, what are you doing out here? I don't have time to talk about this right now, her mother snapped. You don't know what's going on. You didn't see them looking through the windows. You didn't hear what this one said in the ramen shop. And for the first time, her mother looked up. Dangerous intensity burned at her eyes. They're using the dark to blind us, and we're not going to let it happen. Now help me. And Helena walked slowly to the trash piled in the corner. 
towels soaked with blue fluid, rubbery tubes, strange scraps of metal, and a laminated card that read temporary. Her voice was small. Mama, what did you do? And that's the end of that card. I, uh, I, um, okay. I that was not. That one's a rough one. I was not ready for that. Uh, Gray Matter said yes. The rest of me said go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was, uh... I, I, I don't have words for this. This is, this is dark. It is, it is very dark. I, and, you know. I mean, it shows the frustration. Well, it, the frustration has clearly gone past frustration to a boiling point and has boiled over. Like, there are clearly people in the last city at this point in time that are, it's indoctrinated is, is what is the word I want to use in the, in the rhetoric of Lakshmi. Of yes. They the these these things can't live here. These things can't be. God, it, it like I'm filled with emotions right now. Like I'm angry. I'm I'm sad. I'm I'm pissed. Like it's just it's it's God. This was this was this was a hard one. The this one's a rough one, absolutely, and it it shows the desperation that people have been driven to by this, yep. this endless night. It shows the, the, how easy it is to, uh, blame a scapegoat for issues that are happening. You know, yep. when, when, when someone offers a, Oh, it's their fault. It's their fault. Blame them. It's, it's so easy to just accept So that. easy for people to, to fall into that. Um, you know, I'm not going to linger on it too long. There, there are lots of real-world comparisons you can make. Oh, my the God, The obvious there ones are. we know. Uh, but the, this is, you know, the Destiny universe is a little closer to home in that regard than, than we may want. Yeah. But we're going to pick things back up. We're going gonna, to gonna be on a happier level with our next card here. I hope uh, so. We, we, what, what do they call that? The, the compliment sandwich. We, we did yeah. a, a fun yeah. one, yeah. a shit okay. one, and now okay. another fun one. Okay. <laughs> you, you ass. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. I see you. Yeah. So, uh, this one is, uh, again with Amanda, uh, with her new assistant showing that the Elixni are truly integrating into a couple of different roles here uh you know beyond just their their little batsa district and uh this is on the reese racer sparrow and it is a a fun one it, it is a good one uh, okay and it goes like i this. trust you myth amanda holiday sat cross-legged on the floor of the hangar hands propped on her knees and elbows bent as she leaned forward. Showering sparks rained down on her clothes and bare arms, mutedly reflecting, reflected in her welding goggles. The prickling sensation of the sparks on her skin was comforting, 
familiar. So too was the half-finished sparrow refit her new assistant was working on. But the assistant? That was taking some getting used to. I don't know why this is so surprising, Amanda said as she looked over at the elixny vandal working a pair of arc welders held in four hands. She laughed to herself, rubbing her cheek as a spark bounced off it. Always wondered how y'all built stuff so fast. The elixny engineer, Neek, went, winked three eyes in Amanda's direction before returning her attention to the welding work. Easier to see. No eye shields, Neek explained with a smile. Elixni eyes quick, better than human, and then quieter. Not as much before home, but... What do you mean? Amanda wondered. Neek stopped welding, setting her tools down, and reclined black back with two hands on the concrete floor and folded two in her lap. She looked up at the ceiling and sighed a faint ether mist. Story lives greater than story lives greater than now true selves, Neek explained, then looked sidelong at Amanda. We all lost purpose after Neek carefully considered the proper human words. After our golden age. It was Amanda's turn to sigh, more so in regret than Neek's sigh of patience. You ever ridden a sparrow before? She asked in an attempt to change the tone of the conversation. She hadn't considered the question before asking it. Neek shook her head and focused her attention on the half-finished machine in front of her. Too small, she said with a shrug of her upper shoulders. Pike's stronger, but quick run. Amanda couldn't help but laugh at that. Darling, she said through the laughter, ain't no pike faster than my sparrow. Neek's eyes lit up, and she sat forward at the perceived challenge. Amanda remembered the last radio conversation she had had with Crow, an elixir phrase he used, a friendly challenge. Her pronunciation was not quite right, but the intention was, and Neek was delighted at the interaction. Your boasts are hollow hull. Neek said with a growl of laughter and clambered up onto one knee. Amanda's eyes widened for just a moment when it looked like Neek might pounce on her, as if she had somehow said the wrong phrase or challenged or challenged the vandal to a duel. No weapons were drawn, however. Instead, Neek offered two hands to help Amanda up from the floor, and she was pulled up with ease. Are we gonna race? she asked with a nervous flutter of laughter and crooked smile. Neek nodded enthusiastically. Yes, race. And that's the end of that card. Let's go! Um, yeah, that was a good one. I, <laughs> I like that. Just two, two engineers, like, that's... That, that like, yeah. Common, yeah. common ground, right? Like, that's... that's <sighs> That's always the easiest way to broker friendship is common ground. And yeah. And I, I love that that it's Amanda that issues the the, the challenge. Like, you wanna go? Let's go. Like this little this little vandal, I, I think is what it, what the elixir was, um yep. is is like, I got a big blown V eight. What you got? 
And Amanda's like, "Yeah, but my little ricer will uh, it'll run circles around your V8. Let's go. Let's take this. To, let's let's take this to the racetrack. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I too, love the... too small. Get that get that shit out of here, bro. <laughs> no, and I I love the image of Amanda sitting there with the the welding shield and the you know the single welder, and then looks over. And there's Elixney. No, no face mask. Blazing. Two welders blazing through these welds. <laughs> one in each hand, one in each of their four arms, just blazing through shit. Blazing through. She's like, "Well, shit. No wonder y'all are really mechanically inclined. <laughs> you have four arms. Like you can work four times. You can work twice as fast as I can, and you're way better coordinated because you can do each one individually. Like this is not fair." Yeah. Yeah. No, I like this. I like this one. Yeah. So, I. But so the that's the the purpose of these readings was to kind of give a a glimpse of what life was like for the elixir during season of the splicer um because you know the, like I said before the, the the stuff our guardian was doing don't really interact with the elixir much outside of Mithrax. Uh, it's just us running running vex network stuff right playing playing the matrix chasing down quaria. So this this is truly kind of a, a view into uh, some of their their struggles um, and some of their interactions, both good and bad, uh, and kind of shows where they started with us and how they've ended up where they are in game now. Yeah, very much on a on a in a better place now than. Yes. Yeah. God, I don't. I I can't even. Yeah. Nope. But uh can't do it. As you know, a- as the season progresses, we eventually find Quoria. We we put a stop to her. Um however, not before Lakshmi is able to enact her final plan of uh building a Vex gate who, uh, in the Elixni quarter. I- She's the second person to build a Vex gate in the city. <laughs> Ikora was the first one, and she literally built it on the tower and was like, all right, yes. we're going to go take on the, the the Undying Mind in a thousand million billion trillion realities and kill every single one of them. So that way the Undying Mind is – we put an end to it. First off, no, that's not a bright idea, Ikora. Second off, who hurt you? And now Lakshmi. Like, oh, hey, yep. yeah, I'm going to... Now, granted, Lakshmi is definitely doing this out of, like, malice. Like, she's oh, yes. she's absolutely building this to, like, yeah, well, the Vex aren't good. They'll come and kill all the Elixni. Suck it, Elixni. Yeah. Her... Turns out they won't just kill Elixni. They'll kill right. everything. Her intention is start up this, this Vex gate and just literally just shove all the Elixni through the gate and then close it behind them. And that's if so, they survive, so great. Up. But... They're not our problem either way anymore. Is That's is so fucked up thought process? Like I don't think people realize how fucked up Lakshmi is by the end of this season. Like it's, oh, I know it's so bad, and it yeah. So she is successful in getting the Vex gate there. Uh, starts it, and lo and behold, there are Vex on the other side. Weird, that, <laughs> right? Uh, that are charging through the gate, and beginning it's, their assault it's on almost the city. like they know how their own network works weird hmm who would have thought 
And when a new Ethernet port is plugged in, they're like, oh, who is this guy? Let's go check him out. Let's do a router test. Oh, hey, what's up? We're in the last city. This is perfect. We know how to trace route, bitch. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, what the hell? <laughs> so, needless to say, this is this is Lakshmi's <clears throat> undoing. She is one of the first to fall to the Vex that come through the gate. And now there's there's Vex in the Elixir quarter, and the Elixir are having to try and flee and defend themselves. And, you know, it, it's 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 looking bad. Vex are kind of closing in. And uh, throughout this season, Mithrax has had dealings with Saint. And Mithrax has a, a very, I would say, infamous scene where he explains where Saint says something along the lines of like, how can how can we expect people, humans, to live with these these monsters to live with the things of their nightmares and mithrax tells a story about the elixir kind of boogeyman called the saint and it's a story that stems from uh saint 14's crusades against the elixir uh after the uh, battle of I believe it was six fronts. I, I can't or remember perhaps which battle it was. It's, yeah, it was one of the two. Where Saint decides to take the fight to the Elixni instead of playing defense, yeah. and brutally wiped out hundreds, if not yeah. thousands, of Elixni solo. And solo Eli- flawless, baby. <laughs> Come back with his little tent badge solo flawless. What's up? Flex this. And the the Elixni, uh, you know, so he became such a prominent figure during this time that he literally became the Elixni boogeyman. Like they they told stories about the saint and how he would, you know, drag you off to his uh, his domed prison and none would return from it. Uh, Speaking like, of the Ward of Dawn, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which to us is a symbol of protection, but to them became a symbol yeah. of of death, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Shit got real there. <laughs> yeah. And uh really puts into light for for Saint that I you know I the line is something along the lines of, you know, uh how do we expect people to live with their with their monsters, you know, the same way that we are living with ours? Uh and it, it it was a moment to kind of put the put the put the mirror on humanity yeah. as like yeah they've been victims to the fallen but that doesn't mean that the fallen haven't been victims to them too as we yep. saw in some of our previous lore cards tonight and uh, that really drove Saint to reconsider. And by the end of the season, he and Mithrax have formed a a friendship to the point where Saint is standing with him, defending the Elixni Quarter against the onslaught of Vex. So good. Uh, So good. Where is Mithrax? I cannot find him. Oh, my God. It's, oh, oh. 
Yeah. Oh, such a good, such a good series of events there. It, it really is a good one. And, you know, Saint standing with him saying, you know, I am defending my people. You are yeah. my people too. Because Mithrax like looks over the, at him and is like, why, why, why aren't you defending my people? And he just, shit, I'm going to cry as I say it. You are my people. Like, it's just fucking like, <laughs> oh my God, Saint, you're so awesome. I love you. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's a good scene. Amanda's there, shotgun in hand, just like yep. kicking Vex in the teeth, like it's nothing. The one yep. human, like, what? Are, what are you even doing here, Amanda? Like, what are you? Ikora <laughs> shows up and Nova bombs, and then instantly, freaking Nova warps. I'm like, all right, you hacks, person, you. <laughs> there's, there's a reason she's banned from the Crucible. That's what I'm saying. Like, you can't do that. If they catch you, you will get banned. They caught her. She is banned. So all of this culminates in uh, the successful defense of the Elixir Quarter, the closing of the Vex Gate, and uh, kind of the the ending of the, the Long Night. And a middle ground being found between uh, the Elixir and the last city tentative though it is and, and fragile, um, but still a beginnings of a true alliance. Yeah. And, uh, and that essentially leads us right in to season of plunder, which we all just played. And uh, really, there isn't much to go over there. Season of Plunder was a lot of backstory about the Elixni that we've already discussed in our previous episodes. Learned all about Aramis and the pirate ways. and Yeah. And then us building up the, uh, you know, the Elixni quarter at the end to try and give them a questionably better place to live by I'll, the end of it. I was going to say, albeit at like spiders like undercutting right. ways to yeah. two what 21 billion or two i don't remember how it many was ridiculous numbers what it was yeah yeah but so you know they got some stairs spider probably has an offshore account somewhere uh, he's got to put it that way he's definitely uh, skimming but so that brings us to current day and is uh where we're going to conclude our history of the Elixni. We did it, Myth! Another history of a race <laughs> of destiny down! All we have left is the Vex. All we have left is the Vex, yeah. Uh, That's it. This was a very long episode, so yes. apologies for that. Thank you for sticking around to the end. Yeah, this this one. If you If you want to stop working for a hot second, here you go. That's it. Yep. Not that I, not that I'm condoning that, but you know. No, of course not. Um, so, with that in mind, I'm gonna buzz through some of our outro here. Uh, we do have a shout out tonight. It's come to a, coming to us via Twitter uh, from a Nitro TJ, who says, "Thank you guys for the reading you guys give us. Uh, thank you for the readings you guys give us. Uh, I love how you guys go about discussing the lore and different situations." Uh, have you ever thought about making a Discord for us listeners to come in and talk about lore and make new friendships and play together? So That is, that is a very hard question at the end. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, thank you, first of all. Absolutely. Uh, 
as far and I, I responded via Twitter to this, but just to to put it out there in general, we love the idea of a social space where people can talk, you know, that are part of our community, which is still weird to say, uh, and can Aww, talk to each other and play together. Um, the problem is that a neither of us are terribly knowledgeable in using discord in a professional manner. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. I, I have used it as a chat system, like a yep. messaging board and like instant messaging essentially. And that's, that's it. I mean, that's how, that's how myth and I are communicating right now is, is through discord. Right. So we don't really know what we're doing. <laughs> and that's kind of an understatement. Yes. Uh, and to, to properly moderate something like that, is going to require a, a decent amount of time and energy. And we don't want to put ourselves in the situation where uh, we are doing something that is going to burn us out. Yeah. We, we love doing these lore readings once a week. Like I truly look forward to this every week of like, Hey, we're going to sit down and we're going to discuss a bunch of stuff. And then it's, it's kind of like a, it's like a shelf. Like I pulled it off the shelf. We got to play with it for a couple hours. Now it goes back up on the shelf. And we and we play with yeah. it next week. That's 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 the way. I, like I obviously, Myth and I both have a passion for uh, the lore. Otherwise, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have even started doing this. But I mean, the 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 fact that we've been going for what a year and a half now, um, mm-hmm. all the way, all the way back to our PSN days. Um, no, this is a this is a. This this is a fun thing, and we want to keep it a fun thing. Like we we don't want our content to suffer because we're getting burned out on it or anything like that. So that's 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 probably the bigger. I don't want to say issue, but that's that's probably the bigger thing. You know, is that is not to have the burnout. At the end of the day, um, this is not our job. Uh, you know, there, there are lots of really awesome content creators that have turned their YouTube or, or whatever it may be into a full-time thing. Uh, that is not the case for us. We do not monetize this in any way whatsoever. Uh, and uh, neither of us want this to be our job. Uh, you know, this is, this is a, a fun thing that lets us interact with some awesome members of the community and put out some information that is hopefully entertaining and, and, and knowledgeable. Maybe you learned yeah. something. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know I do. Doing maybe, research maybe, and reading through stuff. Maybe you don't shoot Elixir anymore. Maybe you don't shoot Screebs anymore. That's yeah. now my problem in every raid. <laughs> Guess who's not invited to Val? This guy. <laughs> so, needless to say, uh, really, really, you know, thank you for your kind words. We are, you know, I, I don't want to... Uh, you know, it's not that I don't want people to be able to connect with each other and, and play and, and make friends that way. Uh, it's just that that, that it requires a lot more from us than uh, what, what we are able and willing to, to sacrifice at the moment. So. Yeah. Definitely not our goal right now, but maybe, maybe someday. Maybe we'll someday. See. We'll see how this how this crazy world shakes out. 
I mean, we we crushed our our listener goal for the year. Our listener goal for the year was fifty thousand listens. Uh, last time I checked, which was yesterday, we're at sixty nine thousand. Hot. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, our original listener goal was like ten thousand, and yeah. then yeah, I don't know crushed, what happened. Crushed but that freaking month. Was like, okay, well, 10K a month. I guess this is just happening now. Yep. So, yeah, we are very, very thankful, though, for every single one of our listeners. Um, And then just a a quick thing for me as far as, like, scheduling. Uh, We do have one more episode for the year, uh, which we will be recording next week. Uh, And then that will be our final episode for 2022 uh, as we will be taking our Christmas break uh, to enjoy life, to, to... sit back and relax um, before we hit it up again, uh, 2023. So yeah, one more episode after this for the year. And yeah, I, th- I think we're myth. Are we uh, next week? Are we doing a, uh, a current season kind of like, Hey, yep. what's going on here? Yep. Our plan is that uh, the next episode is going to be about uh, just kind of thoughts and, and, uh, interesting lore bits from the newest season that just launched, uh, as well as the dungeon, uh, that launched literally today that I have not played yet. Same. Uh, <laughs> and we will, we'll go over all of the relevant bits there and kind of cap the year off with a, uh, a season overview. And then, um, likely 2023 is going to be us getting into another big series, following Bray, uh, Clovis Bray, uh, Rasputin, Siva, all that good stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, um, I'm going to thank Temp Badge Guy tonight. He deserves it. He fucking deserves it. Thank you, Temp Badge Guy. You wear that, well, well, before we read that final card, you wear that badge with pride, and you That's enjoy right. your ramen, and you spit those five words everywhere you go with hard consonants, and you say I'm proud. <laughs> well, uh, anything else, Smith? That's it. All righty. Well, like I said, thank you for sticking with us through this very, very much longer episode. Uh, we're very happy that, that you guys keep listening every week. And yeah, from all of us lore nerds to all of you guardians out there, We'll see you next week.